The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Okay. Hello, Katie. How are you? What's happening? Yeah. Not much. Not much at all. This is very uneventful for you. It's funny that you're nervous to do this, but yet you're not nervous to row a boat. Well, you might have been nervous. Were you nervous to row across the Atlantic? I definitely was nervous, and I think like that is a good thing to be able to channel that energy to you know make sure bad things don't happen. But that was definitely more my comfort zone than doing something like this. Is that the great? Well, obviously, it's the craziest thing you've ever done, right? I shouldn't say Um, obviously. Well, I think that like the last endurance challenge, it was like running thirty three hours straight, and I think that hit my physical limit more than the row did. Like after the row, I felt like my body could probably continue going. Um, But it was just, yeah, more mentally challenging. How did you get started doing these kind of things? Um, So I would definitely consider myself more like an accidental adventurer. So um, I had to take a gym class to get my um, high school diploma. And through process of elimination, I wanted to find like the easiest A because at that point I was like a bench warmer and I didn't really excel in in those team sports. So the easy A was a walking running class. And um, I did the I signed up just like trying to do the bare minimum. And it was during that class where I was like, okay, I'm already forced to be here, I might as well try to run. And I set that target of running one mile straight. And um, I never thought I could do that. And so when I did run one mile straight, it was probably equivalent to people who run a marathon, you know, like, just feeling like really elated. And that's the seed that planted all the adventures to come. It's really just that one mile and realizing that I was limiting myself by um, what what I thought was possible, and one mile turned into two, two into three, and that was really how I did my first marathon. And every every event was like started from really that place, that one mile. So you were sort of an athletic underachiever or a not interested in athletics person? So in middle school, I, I, like most people, did all the sports, all the team sports. And it was the focus was like, oh, hey, let's hang out. Let's make friends. And and my priority was definitely like just hanging out with friends. I didn't have that like competitive sense about it. And um, once it got too competitive, I kind of checked out because I was like, why are you guys making a big deal about this? Do you know what I mean? Like when when you see it, when like the parents are more oh, invested yeah. and you're well, like, yeah. settle down. Um, so when it became stressful and not fun, that's when I checked out and I didn't really have interest in that. And so um when it became my own, when it became something that was very internally driven and not anything other than the pure curiosity. I, I would say that um, people who do athletic things, like 
they could be driven by many things. And I would say at the core, one of the driving factors is just like a kid-like wonder of like, can I climb a tree? Can I do this? Can I do that? And it's like, I think curiosity is very underrated in that like it could really propel you to see what's possible. And so curiosity time and time and again has like brought me to do things that I never imagined doing. Do you still think back to that first mile, like completing that first mile and that elation, that feeling of elation where you were like, oh, my God, like a new door's opened? All the time. Like some of my friends now that like I'm more in ultra running, it's like we'll we'll hear ourselves. I mean, I'm I'm not exempt from this, but saying things like, oh, it's just a mile or just five mile or just a marathon or just whatever you want to adjust it. But like I still don't feel like I've lost sight of that because I mean, I know this is kind of harsh, but like sometimes I say to my friends, like, we'll tell that to someone who can't walk. Like it really is worthy of celebrating every step, every mile. And so um, I I mean, yeah, I think there's like it, it's just one achievement opens the door to other ones. And so, yeah, I definitely um, don't feel like I've lost that sense. And I think that's important to keep just so, I don't know, it keeps you in that humble state rather than expecting that just because you did it, you can. Yeah, it, it really is interesting how people are limited by their own, their previous experiences and what they've sort of established as their boundaries. Yeah. And then you see them expand past those boundaries and then it changes them. Totally. It changes who you are. I mean, like, one of the things that I'll get now is like, oh, I could never run a marathon. And my first thing is like, oh, which ones have you tried? And of <laughs> course, they're like, no, I've never tried. And I'm like, well, there you go. You actually have to try. And if you haven't tried, then you really don't know if that's truthful that you can't run a marathon. So, um, yeah, I think we get in our own ways more than than anything else. And I'm not saying like, you know, there it was my first mile running was very like not graceful. It was like basically I was like, I want to get this over with as fast as possible. So I was completely winded. I didn't know how to pace myself. And like, um, I don't know the whole like reason behind it, but it's like you have that metal mouth. Do you mm -hmm. know about that? Yeah. It's like when something, I don't, do you know the science behind that? I don't, but I know oh. it's like, there's like a metallic exactly. thing in your mouth. Yeah. It almost tastes, and it's because like you're pushing almost like too hard and it's like bursting something in your, your, your lungs. But yeah. So, so clearly it really it's bursting something in your lungs. I think maybe so. it's blood because yeah. blood does have sort of a metallic yes. copper like taste yeah. to it. Anyways, I didn't know how to pace myself. Oh, because so stuff went, like that would happen and be like, oh, oh okay. So you went too hard too fast. Yeah, and that's yeah. not what endurance is about, so. No, it's about steady. Yeah. Right? Totally. Like, um, yeah, like understanding aerobic and anaerobic and, like, just basically being able to talk the whole time. and Right. So you start off with this first mile. And yeah, then you I eventually do. work your way up to all these challenges. Yes, yes. And then eventually – you decide, I am going to row across the Atlantic Ocean by myself. Yeah. So, okay, so the row. Um, <laughs> I was on a bus, right? And I was, like, talking to someone 
sitting next to me and we were talking about endurance challenges and um, I was a stubborn know-it-all 19-year-old. So, of course, I was like, oh, I've heard it all. I know people climb Mount Everest. I know people sail around the world. I know about all these things. And then he mentioned his friend rode across the Atlantic and that was like, that just stopped me in my tracks. Like, what? Like people can do that? Like I never, it was so far beyond anything I ever imagined. And um, I think like with endurance, what's so cool about endurance is like at a certain point, everyone's body hurts, right? So what makes endurance like a really cool experience is seeing how the human will and how like determination and how a strong mind like you it's a requirement because everyone no matter how fast or slow you are is going through that that mental wall and so um yeah i found out about ocean rowing and i was really captivated not only by um that mental component because like if you do a marathon, you go home, you take your shower, you um, you have people cheering you on. But but ocean rowing, you're stripped raw of that. And and something about that was intriguing to me because it's like, OK, how can you dig deep internally when you don't have the, you know, the finish line, um, you know, whatever uh, party and like the swag and the people and the nice cozy bed and I just kind of I liked that idea of like being so stripped raw that you have to dig deeper than you ever would if you didn't have all those other externals so yeah I found out about it on a bus I went home and went and googled everything I could about ocean rowing and it was at a time where I did my first ultra marathon so it was like a hundred kilometer run or 62 miles. And it was, again, one of those moments where I was like, I never thought I could do that. And my body proved otherwise. So what are all the other things that I'm saying I can't do, but maybe I can. So it was really that information at that particular time where I was like really open to the idea of, wow, maybe it is possible. But um it was a matter of like researching everything. It wasn't like, oh, I got to do this. It was, oh, I got to find out everything. Because, I mean, if someone told you someone rode across the Atlantic, wouldn't the first thing be like, is that really true? Like, so, I mean, that was the first place I, I looked. Like, are people legitimately doing that? How but much time was it between you finding out about it and you actually doing it? Two years. That's yeah. not that long. No. Did no. What kind of training did you do? Um, so like physical training, like compared to doing like, I've trained for like Ironmans and then trained for adventures, like physical, purely physical to like these more adventure type things. And like training for an Ironman, 90% is like what you're doing in the gym for ocean rowing and for like the more adventure type, um, athletic pursuits, I would say that like. 90% was like the logistics. Like you could be the most fit person in the world, but if you don't have a boat, what does it matter? Like, so I spent most of my time just like sorting out through all the logistics, the sponsorship, getting the gear, training with the gear. But um, yeah, like my training priorities for rowing and ocean were 
um, injury prevention. So I did a lot with like strengthening my core and my lower back. And then on the weekends is when I would do like a six to eight hour row training row just to get more to get used to the boat and the equipment more than anything else. But and you would go on a lake, Lake Erie. Lake Erie. Yeah. Yes. Now, how fast do you go on this boat? Uh, like maybe I would go like thirty miles a day. No, no, no. How fast? Like per hour? Uh, three, two or three miles. Two or three miles so, per hour. Yeah. So basically, like the speed of walking. Yeah, so um, my boat was a 19-foot rowboat. It was like 400 pounds, but once it was fully loaded, it was 1,000 pounds. So it did have like a sliding seat. Yes. Okay, so um, I, I had a sliding seat, so that meant that like my legs and my back were the main source of like power, but... Um, I think the best, like... You mean a sliding seat, seat uh, like a rowing machine? Exactly. So, like... So that helps you? It, it, it means that, like, the power was coming from the most powerful parts of my body, not my arms. So some people assume, like, oh, it's just your upper body, it's just your arms. But, in fact, it's more your legs and back. But um, So this thing's going two or three miles an hour. Correct. And how many miles is the Atlantic Ocean? How many miles 3, across? 3,000. Oh. Yeah, 3,000. <laughs> so. Christ. Oh my god. Don't think about it. Just oh. don't even think about it. Oh my god, that's so far. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. so far. It was the worst reaching the halfway point just because like How long did it take you the whole trip? 70 days. 70 days. Yeah. That's not that bad yeah. when you think about it. How far you went. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I I anticipated it would be 70 or 100 days. Oh my god, that's a so. big gap. I had 30 days of extra food and so, Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Was anybody monitoring you? Uh, I had like a tracker so people could like look online and see where I was. Um, but there wasn't like a follow boat or anything like that. Oof. Yeah. What were those nights like? It was pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, of course the stars were amazing, like shooting stars and just like yeah breathtaking and then what surprised me like I thought it was like wait is this real am I hallucinating but the the I think the most stunning part was actually looking in the water because they had like um this type of glowing plankton so it was like a phosphorescence so sometimes I would see things glowing in the distance and then all around my boat um anytime my oar hit the water like I would see all of that and wow yeah like I was so busy planning the trip and the logistics that I didn't know like what wildlife I'd see and so that was definitely like a pleasant surprise to, to see that, that must have been really crazy yeah have you ever seen no no I've seen it on video uh, see if you can find a video of it um what is it called it's bioluminescence but there are like Puerto Rico is probably the closest place to here that has really good bioluminescence too like yeah so that it really looked like that like yeah, that, around that bright my blue? boat, yes. That's amazing. Very trippy. That but, is so um, wild. Yeah, wow, so I could that. put my hand in the water and... Um, did you take any photos or film it? Or I did have some uh, film and... Uh, yeah. Of this? Sometimes I... No, like you can't really take good... I mean, yeah, I didn't have really good... Bioluminescence photos? No. <laughs> 
God, look at that shore. That's insane. Now, <clears throat> you said the stars. Stars were amazing, yes. Like, how amazing? I mean, it's no pollu- light pollution at all, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it, it. In some ways, it felt like I was just like living this National Geographic experience of like, you know, I had dolphins come right up to my boat. Oh, I had. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, like, uh, I think it was like the fourth way mark. I was like, I want to celebrate. And um, my way of celebrating was very limited. It was like, oh, am I going to have two Snickers bars? Like, there's not really a, w- anything other than what I had, but this pot of dolphins surrounded my boat and were doing like flips and tricks and like, really? right at that moment that I was reaching it. So, yeah, the the dolphins and sharks and birds and um, I even had like fish following right underneath my boat, like because barnacles would grow. It was like I on on the side of my boat, I would um, scrub them off, but sometimes they would just keep following my boat. So every time I'd, I I named them Ed Ed and Eddie, but I had like three Gerados that would keep following and birds that came on my boat and wow yeah i didn't think that there would be that many birds out there but yeah how are they getting out there i don't know (laughs) i didn't ask but i think they i think some birds can actually fly right across the ocean yeah which is pretty amazing yeah Yeah. so the dorado that's a dolphin fish right Uh uh-huh they were they were hanging out under your boat those are delicious yes that's a mahi mahi yep And then I had a lot of flying fish. That was another unexpected thing, like to constantly be hit by them. Oh, really? Especially like morning and and like, yeah. Did they have you wind up inside your boat? You had to chuck them back in? Yeah. And I would wake up just because they would fly into the cabin and like, yeah, flying fish. Wow. Have you seen flying fish? Yeah. 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 I've seen them in the wild. It's kind of cool. It's really cool. What did you eat? Uh... So um, everything had to be light just because I was pushing it. So I had like freeze-dried meals, Mm -hmm. um, which aren't like the MREs that have liquid in it. So I had a desalinator, so I would convert the salt water into drinking water. Really? Yeah, which is crazy because I was doing that journey to raise money for clean water, and yet I had a better source of water than a billion people so that was just like yeah um this desalinator i did not know that they had a portable desalinator that's that small it was so i had the main desalinator which works by reverse osmosis and there were two solar panels that powered all the electronics and um i had a handheld one which fortunately i didn't have to use that but that would take two hours to pump the water that i'd need and then for as, the whole day correct and then as my third option i did also have what like ballast water that i could refill with salt water so it would help maintain the self-writing capability because that was another thing this rowboat wasn't like something you get in dick sporting good it was like um self-writing so that meant that even if i had big waves that it could flip and it would flip back over again because of the design of the boat and then the ballast water helped with that self-writing capability. So your ballast water was fresh water just in exactly. case of a chance that you needed water. Yes. You can get that and replace yep. it with salt water. And then like the last week of my journey, I started just using the ballast water because it was easier and I knew I was about to finish. When you say um, you replace it with salt water, 
did you have containers that you would take the ballast water out and put it into some sort of a, a drinkable container? Yes. And then, yeah. Because you would have to get it all out and then put the salt water. You can't mix it, right? Correct. So I had my own like water containers, but they were in these like, I think it was like a platypus type water mm-hmm. containers. So, yeah. So who planned this stuff out for you as far as like the construction of the boat and the ballast water and all that jazz? Did you have to design all this yourself? or? So I was fortunate because I was able to buy it used. So there was oh. another. Someone quit? <laughs> <laughs> so, no. Someone made it. But he, he, he made it. His name's Paul Ridley and he did it um, a year before me. He's oh, in, so he actually did he it. He made it, yeah. How many people have done it? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I know there's more people that have been to the moon. Um, really? Uh, there's not a lot of Americans. Most of the ocean rowers are from, like, the U.K., but uh, for solos, I don't know, a few hundred. Uh, wow. Yeah. So the only Wait other Ameri- A few hundred people have been to the moon. 450 to the moon no in space oh yeah i know there's not a lot it's a small handful yeah have been to the moon allegedly (laughs) (laughs) are you next (laughs) now when you're um getting this from this guy who's done it yeah did he look at you and go katie don't do it um, I think he was so excited to have someone lined up to buy it because there's not many people <laughs> who want to buy it. That it's like Imagine you put that on eBay. <laughs> hey, yeah. who wants to go across the fucking ocean by yourself? Yeah. Uh, I did it. Want to buy my boat? You'd have to be a fan of his maybe. Would you ever row across an ocean? No, I would not, Katie. Are you sure? Thank you for asking. Oh, yeah. okay. No, I don't have that kind of time. Oh, but there's like, there's, you have your whole life in front of you. Hmm. Hmm. No, no. You well, what's one thing that you do want to do before, like you know? I mean, that's not appealing to me. Oh, people like you are appealing to me. People oh. that do things like that, you're very appealing. Oh. I like talking to you. Okay, I don't want to do it. I get it. Oh. I know it's got to be mind bending and very, very difficult. I'm hmm. very aware of that. Okay, that's an enormous amount of time. You're Seventy right. days. I have three jobs. Yeah, I have no desire to take seventy days off of any of them. Okay. All right. But I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But you, you're interesting because when I said, when you said that to me, would you do it? And all of a sudden you, you like probing, you like looking into my brain. You, you wanted to see what's going on in my soul. I could tell like, you're like, would you do it? Hmm. Maybe you're a quitter. No, it's maybe, just like maybe you wouldn't do it because no, you don't have the that's courage. Not, that is definitely not true because most people who do want to do these things, do you know what the limiting factor is? Well, what? the perceived limiting factor what because it? It, it, there's always a way or there's always a limit, right? Like so, money can be a limiting factor for a lot of adventurous things and i've i've i i hope that when people like see some of the things i've done they are encouraged to know you can do things on a shoestring you don't have to um you know but i'm that's just yeah well there's also taking 70 days off work yeah that's that's very difficult for a lot of people to pull off that's true it's hard for people to get a week off work yeah yeah but you could look at it a different way how old are you katie 
33. How old were you when you did it? 22. So when you were that, when you were young and you like, what were you, what were you doing for a job when you did this? So I just graduated from college and I was working for a nonprofit for a year beforehand. So I was planning this during my senior year. So did you stack some money aside? Um, so I, there's no way I would have been able to do it without sponsors. So there oh. were some uh, Cleveland companies that were able to partner up. And um, the purpose behind it, there's definitely a purpose behind why I do what I do. And that's always been water. And um, so there were also some companies that shared the, the vision and passion that, you know, everyone on our planet should have clean water and there's ways to, to do that. So, um, yeah. We do some work with uh, Fight for the Forgotten. It's my okay. friend Justin Wren's organization. Do you know where they are? Uh-huh. They build wells for the pygmies. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a pretty amazing guy, but he's been going over there for years and he spends months every year over there in Africa building wells and he's immeasurably helped the lives of countless people over there. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just like, something that we just take for granted, like here, water. Right, it's right there on the table. You might yeah. drink it, you might not. We might throw it in the sink. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, I... <sighs> Delicious water. I mean, that um, is one thing that is very universal. It's crazy that some people don't even drink it. You know John Daly, the, the golfer? Mm-hmm. I was watching an interview, you know who he is? I don't golf, but he's a famous golfer, famous for being a guy who just gets hammered all the time. He smokes cigarettes, but he's a really good golfer. Uh-huh. Just a big, fat guy who doesn't take care of himself, but he does not drink any water at all. And they did an interview with him, and they said, uh, how much Diet Coke do you drink a day? And he said, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 large Diet Cokes a day. So he goes to McDonald's, and yeah. he gets those extra large... Yeah. Things of Diet Coke. He says McDonald's has the best uh, fountain drinks. <laughs> but he says he hates water. He doesn't drink any water. I'm like, wow. If you're thirsty, like there, what is it? It's 26 to 28 cans of Diet Coke a day. Now I have 10 to 12 at most. I only smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, not three, so I'll be all right. <laughs> 17 terrible wow. pieces of health advice from John Daly. <laughs> He's quite a character. Like, what about his mm. teeth? His teeth can't be oh, good. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Look, he's out there with a cigarette in his mouth. Look at his stomach. Dentist. <laughs> 1991 to 2017. He's he's fat now, but still a really good golfer. That Golf is a, such a strange game. You know, you can make a living as an athlete and not even be remotely athletic or in shape or even healthy. Yeah. You just have to be able to do a few moves. Yeah, there's some sports you can get away with. Not rowing across the ocean, Katie. Yeah, well. How many I cigarettes mean, did you smoke while you were rowing across the ocean? But water. So water, water is, yes. that's what you were doing it for. Yeah, you were I'm, doing it to raise money. Correct, yep. What, so. What's the organization? Um, right now I'm working with an organization called H2O for Life, and they partner with schools here in the United States to help schools uh, get clean water all around the world. And um, what's also really cool about them is they create service learning opportunities for schools here. And I think that, that you know, sometimes when I'm involved with clean water, it's like, well, what are you doing here? And H2O for Life does do things here to help kids feel 
part of something bigger to help kids develop empathy and concern and care for other people. So I think what they do is pretty unique in that they can both help others outside the United States and both help fill that need for kids here to feel part of something. So the row raised 150000 for water projects. And then through all the different adventures, it's been about 400000 That's awesome. Yeah. It is really cool to, like, see the impact. And um, I keep tabs on that, the different projects. And um, right now it's 20,000 people that have gotten clean water through adventures. And, um, yeah, I mean, it really doesn't take much to help with clean water. And, um, I, I, yeah. You could support, I mean, there's so many great causes to get behind. Um, What's also encouraging about clean water is there are solutions. It's not this unknown. It's not this um, we're putting money into research to figure out if it will work. There are um, wells, boreholes, rainwater harvesting. There's so many different solutions tailored to the communities that, um, that, that, that work. So. So what made it, like when you were thinking about doing this, what made clean water, what made that the thing that you chose to to have as your main charitable organization? So I was living in Australia and they were experiencing a, a, a pretty significant drought. And Australia is very developed. It's, um, and to see the major headlines, to see the rules like, oh, you can't water your, your grass right now. You can't wash your car right now. And just to see that happening in somewhere so developed, it had it in the back of my mind, like, wow, water isn't that something that should be taken for granted. And it isn't just this unlimited resource. And so I was studying environmental science, and I remember one of my professors mentioned that the wars of the future would be on water. Like, And, and in some countries, it's already the case. And to me, that was kind of like that one sentence that I couldn't unlearn, I couldn't stop thinking about. And it just hit me at, at a core of like, that is so wrong. And I, th- yeah, I was 19 or 20. And um, at that point, I felt like I had a, like a, a little bit because of traveling, like I had a little bit of a sense of what was going on in the world. But to know at that point, one in six people didn't have clean water, I was like, wow, I didn't even know about one sixth of our planet and what their daily struggle is. And like, the fact that it's a problem that has a solution, and it's something that, like, I don't know what cause could have as big as an impact as water, because you think like, okay, if you what, what can you live without? Um, you can't even survive three days without, without water. So, um, and just like thinking about health, half of the hospital beds are filled because of unsafe drinking water. If you think about environment, if you think about education, um, half of the hospital beds in the world, is that what you mean? Yeah. And like half. Yeah. Like, um, the, for children in the world, the greatest killer is diarrhea, diarrheal disease. And that is because of unsafe drinking water. And that is like, I, I, there's this documentary that came out recent, well, within the last year called, I think it's Brave Blue World. And Matt Damon um, shared something at the, at the beginning about like, 
Imagine that right now we find the cure for all childhood cancers. And then imagine in 50 years from now, these kids are still dying from this very cancer that we have a cure for. And that is what's happening with clean water. And I mean, if you, it just, I don't know, it still boils my, boils my blood just like thinking about like how wrong it is. And when you, when you see how wrong it is, I mean, I, I feel like, of course, I would want to support that and, and do something. And like, when I first started learning about it, I was, I, the first water project I um, was able to fund was in Haiti. And I was learning about how some places they don't even name, give their kids a name until they're five years old oh. because, okay, so who's affected by the water crisis? Women and children. Children, their bodies aren't strong enough to withstand and to fight back all the um, bacteria and, and the, the, like viruses and all the um, things. Yeah, exactly. So, so they won't even give their kids names until they, they think they'll be able to, to live. Right. So like just thinking about that is like these are these are real people like these are I don't know. I, I the real people today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is not it, real people 5000 no. years ago. And like just the idea of not even giving your child a name because of that fear of like they might not even live. So you don't even want to get like my friend Lex Lex Friedman. Yeah, he's a, a scientist that works with um, artificial intelligence. He posted something on his Instagram. It's uh, yesterday. It's a crazy statistic about um, children and infant mortality from, uh, I believe it was 200 years ago. Look at this. In 1800, 43% died before the age of five. Today it's 4%. Just imagine that. And that was all over yeah. the world. Yeah. 43%. But that's not the case everywhere. Yeah. Obviously. If you're not naming your kids, it's probably uh, a, that's probably where the gap is because it's yeah. not 5% of American children die before that age. Yeah. So, yeah, water has, has always been something that um, has given me hope just seeing that there there's, there's definitely real change is possible. It also it. seems like it's financially possible. Oh, yeah. You're not talking about giving everybody diamonds. Correct. Like, um, I mean, with these water projects, it's not just clean water. Like, that's the pretty part. But, like, they also need, like, latrines. And so most of these charities that are working to solve the water crisis are not just doing water. They're doing... Um, sanitation and hygiene education so on average it's like about i mean it depends like rainwater harvesting is a lot cheaper than building wells and so um but on average it's like 50 dollars for one person to get clean water so yeah for their life um depending like it's hard to $50? at least 10 years though for most of the water projects god that seems like a hurdle that's so easy to get over correct for the yeah yeah. So, I mean... There's just not a financial incentive for people to do it. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like, it's not because there's a lack, like, the solution is there. It's just, like, the motivation to, you know, right. put resources and energy towards it. But um, I've definitely felt very encouraged just seeing how many people have been supportive. And, and um, yeah, I mean, just... 
it's yeah, you could say like I raised this much, but truthfully, it's I witnessed the generosity of others who believed in in a similar thing that that I did. When you say that, obviously children, but why why are women more affected by it than men? Um, because it's their responsibility to go and collect the water. So on average, it's like four miles every single day that they have to go. And it's not just the fact that it's a long walk, but when you're coming back, you're carrying the um, jerry cans, which could be 40 pounds. It could also be dangerous. They could be attacked. There could be wild animals. So um, they are the ones who are responsible for collecting it. And the men are out hunting or something? Yeah. Yeah. And um, also, like, for females, um, if there aren't any, like, um, latrines, like, once they hit puberty um, and they're having their menstrual um, cycle, they will just not go to school anymore because they don't have a way to, you know, take care of themselves. So women and children are definitely the ones who are affected the most. Mm. Yeah. Well, all in all, it's poor people. Yeah. And this uh, organization has been around for how long doing this? Um, H2O for Life, over a decade, yeah. So they have partners in the field building, building all the different projects. And um, there's been maybe 40 or 50 projects that were funded through all the different adventures. And then... I have been able to uh, visit some of them in Kenya and South Africa um, after the fact, after the projects were built. And yeah. Now, how do you like? How did you get connected with them? And how does it work? Like, does do your sponsors pay X amount per what happens when you complete this? Like, how does that work? Um, so for the row, there were corporate sponsors that helped pay for the cost of the event. And then I did things like sponsor a mile. Um, sometimes like I'll do work with rotary clubs. They've been super supportive and a good partner on hosting different events. I don't even know what a rotary club is, but I know uh, that word. Okay. So there's 30,000 rotary clubs do all you know around what does? the world. What's a rotary Sorta. club? Uh, my dad used to be in one, but I, it's like a group of guys that meets and hangs. It doesn't have to be guys. A group of people that meets, have lunch, talk about business sort of stuff. That's what it is? Because it's in one of those things. In a neighborhood sort of like community. I, until this moment in my life, I've never even thought, what's a Rotary Club? Yeah. Oh, well, let me tell you. I know the name. <laughs> yeah, she knows more probably than. Um, so Rotary Clubs, you probably have seen their signs like, oh, we're meeting every Tuesday at 8. Uh, so it's usually like leaders in the community get together once a week and they do local and global service projects. So it's a, it's a service organization. Um, so there's your local one, then there's districts, and then they meet for like global conferences. But um, basically, yeah, their their focus is how can we make our community better local and locally and globally. And so we've partnered on different like fundraisers and um, and then so so there's partnering with schools, partnering with ro Rotary clubs, and then part of like whenever I do speaking, I do it in return for donations to the cause. And then finally, um, some corporate sponsors will do like a matching fund challenge. So whatever other individuals raise, they'll match that. So it's definitely like seeing who's interested and who's also passionate about it. But there's definitely never been like, this is how it's always been. Like it's kind of um, working with w what 
interests of others that that um, yeah also want to do something. So you had a series of sponsors, mm-hmm. and you have a series of sponsors for all your adventures. Usually, yes, yeah. Like some of my like smaller adventures were more like on a shoestring, um, but. How do you go about acquiring these sponsors? Um, so a lot, like, because, especially for my first adventures, um, I didn't, that wasn't my network. Um, it was a lot of, like, cold, cold calling and just looking for companies that I thought would also, um, share that, the, the same vision. But, uh, yeah, it really just, like, sending emails or asking to set up meetings but um so you do it all yourself i do but of course like no one ever does anything by themselves like everyone's always supported sure sure but no i don't have like a agent or anything like that seems like you should i don't i mean i maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) but it seems like these things that you're doing especially the rowing across the ocean it's pretty high profile right it feels like someone can get involved and sort of boost your signal yeah um yeah i mean i'm open i don't know are you going to do something else crazy um i definitely feel called to do like so uh, with ocean rowing, um, most people go from like one island to another because you're right within the trade winds. So w- it, it takes about 100 miles offshore until you're right in those trade winds. And so um, I was very intentional about the row and going mainland to mainland. And the reason behind that is just because um, I have always thought it would be so cool to go around the whole world by human power. Like, um, and when I, you know, when that idea came or whatever, uh, I, I basically said, okay, so what's the hardest part? What's the part you're most likely to fail? And if you're going around the whole world, the row is the part that you're most likely to fail. Half of the people do. Um, and it's the most expensive. And I would never want to go on this around the world trip and then fail at the last like leg you know and so that that was always like the original vision of just like going completely around the world by human power and um i think realistically it would be done in legs so um i would like to do the next leg which would be cycling from where i landed in south america so i landed in georgetown guyana um, and then cycling from South America to North America, and that would take probably about a year. But, um, yeah, so that was always, like, something. But it's not – the reason I haven't done it is because I have a lot of other things that I've done and am doing that I'm I'm interested in. And I always thought, like, a journey like that is something that you could do much older and, like – um, because like there's a certain kind of fitness you need for an Ironman versus cycle touring. Um, you really like You're not racing. Correct. And like, I kind of wanted my twenties to be more racing and more pushing. Like I, I really enjoyed doing Ironman after Ironman after Ironman and, and just like feeling fast. And like the more I do endurance, the 
I'm losing that speed. And so um, it's kind of like a balance. And so I, yeah, I think the around the world trip certainly would be something I'd love to explore doing. Um, I am also aware that like for endurance, being in my 30s is probably the best for recovery. So although I think people could cycle around the world in their 60s and 70s, um, I think I would enjoy it more now just because of that ability to recover and like sleeping in a tent and dealing with all like the um, climate and um, just kind of living wild like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, that would be one of the like challenges that I could see pursuing in probably in legs rather than just doing the whole thing because it would be like three years. Now, when you think about doing something like that, do you get concerned about your safety? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I, of course, like I, I don't do these things because I don't like have concern. I definitely was concerned about the ocean. And I think that's why I spent so much time like researching it and asking all those questions and looking at what were the backups and take, I I definitely took it very seriously and took those risks very seriously, but I don't know. Like, did you encounter any hairy moments when you were out there? Yeah. I had like 30 foot waves at. Holy shit. Yes. But 30 feet is a lot. Yes, it is. What's this roof? Maybe eight, maybe 10, 10. Yeah. Maybe 10. Okay, three times the size of this roof. But let me... Fuck that. Okay, but here's the thing about that. (laughs) (laughs) You're in a little rowboat. 30-foot waves is crazy. These boats are designed for it. So it's kind of like, what's the point of having this fancy boat if you don't get to see the full possibilities and capabilities of it? So crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Like... I, I could have been in a like rinky right. dink kayak at yeah. that point if I didn't like so when you row an ocean you're not like hey what's hurricane season let's go like I wasn't out there when so I worked with a, a weather guy and um, we knew that it could be like that so I had a backup like place so so here's what happened I was about to land I had these big waves. And then I was like, oh, You're no. about to land. So it was yeah, the end? Correct. And oh it, it's known because it's like the continental shelf. So it jumps from being thousands of feet deep to, to pretty shallow. So it, it's known to have these like waves and winds. And it's just known for that kind of thing. So I had an option of landing there, but I would need a boat to tow me in. Um, because I could crash into cliffs or crash into something because it's so impossible to be precise when you have those big waves. So that's kind of, that's where the detour happened. So I ended up two countries west of my original destination because I didn't want to tow. Like, Mm. how terrible would that be? That would have sucked. Yeah. Like, oh, here I did it. If you you did have to get towed, would you go back and do it again? You might I don't have know. To, right? I don't know. I don't even want to think about that. Like, so that's yeah. That I. I mean, that's not solo. You no. got that? No. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think you'd do it again. Or I would just go from where they pick me up, and then. Mm, that seems lame. I know, but. <laughs> <laughs> it Says doesn't me, seem. A guy who's not even willing to go across <laughs> a lake. Don't listen to me. Maybe someday. You never know. Maybe not. How about that? Okay.
How many Iron Man have you done? Five. Does it bother you as an Iron Man, not an Iron person? No, it doesn't. Why is it Iron Man if you're you're doing it? I don't know. You want to? Seems you weird. Should, you should ask them. I don't know. Seems kind of weird. Yeah. And I'm not even one of those people. Yeah. You know that complains about that kind of shit. But why does it have to be Iron Man if like all sexists can do it? I don't know, but what like if you're non-binary. What if you're asexual? I don't. What if you like a zur? And you like, uh, I'm just an iron thing. I'm an iron they. <laughs> Why don't they just call it iron they? No, doesn't sound good. It's uh, a problem, right? If you're a woman, like if I was a guy and I was competing in an iron woman championship, I'm like, yeah, I took third place in iron woman. They'd be like, why are you in a woman's contest? <laughs> well, it's open for everybody. They just call it iron woman. I'd be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I don't know. Right? Wouldn't you? I don't now that you're thinking rules. about it, someone should start attacking them on Twitter, and they would change their name. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, they changed so many names because of uh, you know social justice warriors uh, attacking people. What was it? There was a recent one that they're changing. They're changing the word man. Uh, they're taking the word man out of something. God damn it! I forget what it is. I mean, what would we have to call it so we would call it? It's not Iron, Iron Man. Iron Human. Oh, okay. What's wrong with Iron Human? That has man in it too, by the way. Um, because man. it doesn't sound as good. No. Why? It sounds dope. I like it better. It sounds. It's not human. as punchy. Oh, Iron Man's more punchy. I don't know. Like sometimes when things are shorter. Hmm. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Still. I mean, there's things in this world that are definitely worth changing, and That's I would like to focus on water but if you want right. to take that one up i'll i'll focus on water you focus I'm on gonna that row one. across the ocean to get <laughs> rid of the name of iron, iron man. man change it to iron human no oh uh, just saying yeah how many have you done five wow you know they make them longer too there's like they like make them i think three times as long oh really yeah that's a thing that's ridiculous yeah i um the longest I've like biked once was like 375 miles in 24 hours, Woo. and the longest I've run is 138. And I think that's it. Like I don't think I would like to go any further. My buddy Cam, he does a lot of them. Cam Haynes, he's done the Moab 240 and yeah. the Bigfoot, whatever this Bigfoot two. It's like 205 or something like that. Yeah. The Moab 240 is a three day. Yes. Three day jam. Yeah. And they're tr they're trying to do something even crazier. Yeah, they. I, I, I believe it. Oh. I mean, they, I have seen like 200 is the new 100. Yeah, these people are out of their fucking minds. I mean. He's got his son doing it now. Yeah, he's crazy. I, son I, Truett. Yeah. He's, I think Truett's like, he's in his early 20s. He's he's a kid that broke Goggins' chin-up record. Oh, really? Yeah, his son, Was he mad son's about a that? savage too. Was Goggins mad? Yeah. No, he loves it. Is he going to try to break I'm it sure, again? I'm sure he'll break it. Break, who broke his? Yeah, he has to. I think another guy holds Goggins held the world record, and then um, Truett broke Goggins' record, but I don't believe that was the world record anymore. I think there was another guy who broke uh -huh. the world record. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like a little hot It's potato. an insane amount of chin-ups. It's like yeah. thousands of chin-ups. 54-year-old Mark Jordan. Oh, Jesus. He's older than uh, me. 4,210. Let me see what this savage looks like. That's insane. So since you Jesus Christ, look at the build on that man. See, that's an even bigger problem, right? Because that guy has to carry all that weight. Like he's heavier. Because when you look at um, Goggins or Truett, 
They're smaller guys. Like Goggins is, uh, is that Truett there? I think so. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that's Truett. No, it's not. No, this is no. 2017. Okay. So, oh, must pull-ups in one minute. Sorry. These savages keep breaking it. Yeah. I think what's that impressive. That guy's jacked, though. That's what's nuts, how, how thick that dude is. 4,300, actually, it says. Forty-three twenty-one so much. in twenty-four hours. That's so much. Oh my goodness, that is so much. Texas man. Yeah, Corpus Christi. Mark Jordan. Shout out to Mark. Yeah, usually they're not that muscular, because that's he's carrying around. I'm sure he's got muscular legs too, carrying around a lot of weight. It's so, easier for th- slimmer people to do chin-ups. I have a question. Okay. Um. So since you like meet all these people that do fit things Mm -hmm. who is a person that you've met or like a record that you admire or i don't know like the coolest the coolest the coolest human feat Hmm. the person who you have the most respect for for doing i don't know maybe you katie no might be no can't be why because there's so many cool things Well, well you did is pretty cool by yourself, alone in the ocean, for fucking days and days and days and days and days and days and days, and days with phospholuminescent water and the stars and dolphins are playing with you. What you did is pretty fucking cool. Well, thank you. Pretty cool. You know, that's uh, that's up there. Okay, but what's the what's what's you know? Um, Eddie Izzard impressed me the most because what he did, he had zero training and he wasn't in shape and he's a comedian. He just did it on pure will. And he, he's done multiple ones of these. But I shouldn't say he anymore because now he wants to be called a she. She. I just call him her, Eddie. Yeah. Eddie ran the entire length around the UK. Wow. Yeah, and but with zero training, and they documented it in a documentary. I mean, Eddie's feet were falling off. I mean, the skin was just completely removed. And it was it's, it's horrific to watch when you see like them trying to tape up the toes and deal with all the blisters, and then running the next day, Eddie's out there huffing it. I mean, but not in shape. Not like a person like you or like Cam Haynes or David Goggins. A person that is just just through sheer will decides they're going to run around the entire length of the UK wow. and do it all for charity. And then since then, Eddie's done, uh, she's run through Africa and did a recent one where they were doing it on uh, on Zoom. That one was on a treadmill and did... What was it, like 26 marathons? 31 and 32 days? Yeah, something crazy. Something like that, 32 and 31 yeah. days? Yeah, that's pretty damn impressive. Because uh, Eddie's not a, a, an athlete per se. Hmm. It sounds like you, he's, or she, or he, yeah. she sounds pretty athletic. She, yeah, she used to be called a he. It's confusing because she still likes girls. Hmm. Or as uh, Eddie says, fancies the ladies. <laughs> But whatever. When you're that badass, I don't give a fuck what you call yourself or who you are. Yeah. I'll say whatever you want. Well, what was the distance for the UK run? It's a good question. Totally more than 1,100 miles. Uh, 43 marathons in 51 days. 27 miles a day, wow. at least. you got to understand that this is not an in-shape person. I'm surprised that there was an injury 
to stop that. I think like injury is definitely one of the biggest like you know challenges. Oh yeah, for sure. How old was Eddie at the time? It was in 2009, so a little bit younger, but 40. Um, let me see if it says in the thing. Probably 40. Not young. Only trained for five weeks right before it, and then that's really. Yeah, it's not saying. Uh, I'll check something else. Sorry. Like usually you taper two or three weeks. Yeah. So that's like. <laughs> no, it's nuts. Yeah, that's not. And if you watch the documentary, you just see it's just sheer will. Yeah. He was 47 at the time. You could say he was 47 at the time because he was a he then. 47-year-old actor was 47 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's not young. Um, it's super impressive. That's probably the most impressive thing. Yeah, I'd be curious. There's but a just because of that, because yeah. I know, like, my friend Cam Haynes, he runs every day. He's in great shape. He just ran 100 miles like it was nothing. Yeah. Just did it, like, last weekend. Did a 100-mile race. Yeah. And he doesn't even tell anybody. He just goes and does them because he does it so much. He runs literally when he prepares for these things, he runs a marathon a day, every day. But That's so funny. him doing that, yeah, it's not like, as impressive I as Eddie it. doing it just because Eddie's not in shape. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like even in Ironmans, like, of course, there's these people who finish in eight, nine hours. But sometimes the most impressive thing, like one of the races I did my friends and I, we stayed until the last person came. And this person was out there for 17 hours, like, and they made it just within, like, 20 more seconds to oh, go. Wow. And, like, yeah, it, it, it it's almost just as inspiring, if not more, to see that person who's just barely made it than right. the one who's just like, oh, right. I Through could do that again. Yeah. yeah. But there's not one person that's the most impressive it's there's a yeah. lot of one of the more interesting things about doing a podcast is that that you can talk to people from all walks of life and yeah. so my understanding of human beings is very broad in a sense that like oh i met someone like her oh i know a person like that yeah. oh that guy yeah that's like this person like there's if you just live in the same place and communicate with the same people and you don't get out and you don't travel and you don't meet really unique and interesting people, you have an idea. You have a little box that you look to put human beings in. My box is enormous. So what I think of what's possible with people is enormous. Yeah. You know, so it's made me very, very open-minded in terms of what's possible, in terms of just the different kinds of people different styles of human being because that's kind of what it's like. like there's different styles of human being different ways that people talk different ways people protect themselves with their speech and with their manner of talking they shield themselves and then other people that are just wide open some yeah. people that really because they're really good at one thing they think they know it all about everything that's an un unusual thing what's that like what's that called the dunning's kruger effect but then there's other people Wait, that what are what does that mean uh, I think it means when you have uh, an expertise in one subject, you uh, grossly overestimate your understanding of other subjects. Let's see, oh. see, what, see if we can find the definition of that. I've never heard that. You never heard that? Uh -uh. It's a commonly used phrase because it's, it's very common amongst really brilliant people, unfortunately. There's brilliant people that dismiss other disciplines and other works and other um, uh, fields of, of interest yeah. because it's not inside of the, here it is. 
It's a hypothetical hmm. cognitive bias stating that people with low ability at a task overestimate their ability. Oh, okay. Bias. Yeah, it would be an amateur chess player overestimating their performance in the upcoming chess tournament compared to their competent counterparts. Hmm. I think I fucked that up then, because I thought that it had to do with someone being really good at something else, and that's why the Dunning Kruger effect takes into position. That's how I've always thought of it. So what the way I'm, way I'm looking at it, I'm looking at the Dunning Kruger effect based on people that are good at other things. And so like usually like maybe someone is a, a great mathematician but they have a, a kind of funky view about religion yeah. or uh, maybe there's someone who is uh, a brilliant psychologist but they uh, maybe have a dismissive view of martial arts or people that practice it. I know people that are um, into athletics and they're athletic trainers and they dismiss yoga. They have zero experience in yoga. And I've had arguments with people about that, like guys who are like professional trainers that train elite athletes and they dismiss yoga. What do they have against yoga? It's not that they have anything against it. It's that they don't understand what they're talking about because they believe that because they're so good at this one thing, uh. maybe plyometrics, explosive training, that you talk to them about yoga and they'll be dismissive of them. Like, well, how often are you doing it? You know, like, listen, I've done a lot of shit. Yoga's hard. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's I don't think it's the only thing you should do. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. I talked to this one lady, she uh, used to go to my yoga class, and she was in her 50s, and she was fucking shredded. She had like this crazy six-pack and super jacked. And I go, you don't just do yoga. And she goes, no, 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 I do a lot of weightlifting, and I do a lot of CrossFit and stuff like that. She goes, I don't think you should just do yoga. She goes, but I think you should do yoga. Yeah, And for I sure. was like, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, because I think just doing yoga, you get one of them weird guru bodies, you know, or <laughs> <laughs> well, you're real bendy, but it doesn't seem like you can help anybody move a couch. Yeah. You know, like I think weightlifting is, especially as you get older, I think it's imperative. I really think it's important. Like, any some, some, some sort of resistance training just to keep your bone density and keep your muscles and tendons strong. And But yoga has uh, some profound mental benefits. For some sure. Psychological benefits. Yeah. And it's hard. It's fucking hard. Like holding on to those. I like to do hot yoga too. So holding yeah. on to those poses when it's 105 degrees and you watch, you're watching sweat pour off of you and your heart's pounding out of your chest. Yes, but sometimes when you do those hot yoga classes, you would be sweating if you were just sitting there. So I think sometimes, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it is hard, but if you were sitting there, you probably would be sweating too. So it could be. It, well, that's because it's harder when yes, it's hot. Exactly. Because it makes yeah. your body produce heat shock proteins, which makes it uh, better. The idea, see, this is where another thing that people get screwed up. They say, oh, no, no, it's not that hard. It just seems hard because it's hot. Yeah. No, no, no. It's fucking hard. And it's harder because it's hot. Uh, so your body has to work harder. It feels harder because it is. Because yeah. it's more difficult for your body. So because it's more difficult for your body, your body has to produce these cytokines. Yeah. And that is a massive it, – it, it's massive for anti-inflammation benefits. And there's actually a study they're doing at Harvard right now about hot yoga. And they're trying to find out if hot yoga has similar benefits to that – was it Finland that did that yoga stu – that uh, sauna study? I keep fucking it up. I always I say Norway. To Finland, yes. Finland, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a study that they did out of Finland that showed a 40% decrease in all-cause mortality for people that did sauna. I think it's at 170 degrees, 20 minutes, four times a week. Huh. 40% decrease of all-cause mortality, heart attack, stroke, cancer, everything across the board Yeah. because of the heat shock protein benefit, huh. because of the fact that your body is kind of freaking out because the heat so produces those cytokines and that has massive benefits for your health and psychological benefits. So one of the coaches I worked with for Ironman, like I used to do hot yoga a lot and he his concern for me in doing that on top of Ironman training was just like, okay, so you are already so de like hydration is already so hard with training whatever 20 hours of sweating by running and biking and swimming so that that's the only thing that i've heard like i don't know have you heard anything about that like you definitely can get dehydrated if you don't plan accordingly but yeah. what you really need is an electrolyte supplement yes so okay. i i do i use liquid iv i just take i i'll do two of those in a day is genuine generally what i do because i work out a lot but yeah. when i do the sauna i do one after the sauna um, if, but if I do a hot yoga class, I'll do it before the yoga class. So I'll do like an hour before the yoga class. I'll drink 32 ounces of water with liquid IV. The only problem is having to pee. That's the problem. You know, we talked about that before the podcast. <laughs> you drink a lot of water. My daughter, my 10 year old has uh, decided to drink massive amounts of water now. So she has this oh, the jug. jug. Yeah. It is so big. It's huge. And she was laughing and I go, um, why are you doing this? And she goes, well, water's really good for you. And uh, I just want to see if I can drink this f uh, you know, every day. And I go, well, you definitely can drink <laughs> it every day. So I go, how many times do you have to pee at class? She goes, oh, uh, every class. I have, to, I have to get up and pee multiple times. And she's laughing. I go, multiple times during class. I go, what do your teachers think about this? She goes, they laugh. They think it's funny because they know that I have this giant jug of water on my table. I'm like, okay. She might be going... Uh Overhydration, hyponatremia, like that. No, she's not doing that oh, because okay. she's doing it through the entire day. Okay. But that is a danger. But yeah. that's when you're forcing water into your body. I mean, right? people I've, have died from that. I've like, had hyponatremia. Did before. you really? Uh, biking across America. Wow. Yeah. What uh, happened? It was, I mean, yeah, I. I've had, like, I mean, if you do endurance stuff, of course, some things happen. Like, I've had uh, rhabdo. I've had. When you had rhabdo, would they have to, rhabdomyelosis, would you have to do to uh, um, fix that? So that was the thing. Like, I, this is going to sound so stupid, but I was like, but I don't feel like it. Like, and I've had, like, internal bleeding. I was like, I, but I don't feel anything. Like, so what, they, they just give you IV and that I was, yeah, that was as Just, just drink water? Uh, they gave me, like, two liters of IV. And that's it? That was all. And then, yeah, I... I think I was just monitoring. And rhabdo it. is your muscles start to break down. Yeah. So, yeah, whenever you're working out, you're ideally breaking down your muscles because that's how they grow stronger. Um, so from my understanding, I mean, I'm not like a, you know, this, yeah. But from my understanding is that um, it's like it, when your muscles are breaking down, it's in your bloodstream and your kidneys are trying really hard to filter it out, filter out. And if there's so much breakdown, it's beyond your kidneys ability to filter, filter, filter. So it could cause kidney failure. So it's clogging your pipes. Yes. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, I yeah. So like yeah. I, I know that like the stuff I do, no doctor would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Go, <laughs> go run a hundred miles. But I just tell you not to do everything. I though. know that's true. They don't want the liability of being like. It's not just that. It's just like, that, like uh, when I got my first knee surgery, I remember my doctor saying, "Well, no more martial arts for you." I was like, Get "The fuck out of here!" Like, what are you talking about? Watch me. I was like at the time. I was 22 or something yeah. like that. I'm like, you're fucking crazy. Like, what are you saying? Are you fixing my knee or not? Is it yeah. fixed? Like, in the, well, it'll be more vulnerable now. Okay. Yeah. And then what, I get it fixed again? Like, in my mind, I was like, I don't even know what you're saying. I'm going to stop working out. I can't do martial arts ever, ever again. And then it happened again when I got my second knee surgery. I had a meniscus scope, and the doctor, same thing. They were like, well, you need, you need, really need to stop this. I'm like, oh, okay, I do? Meanwhile, I don't. Look, because here I'm still doing it 20 years later, and I'm not in pain. Like, you guys are out of your fucking minds. Yeah. They just, they're so risk-averse. They just want to avoid any kind of real problems you're going to have with your body. But I think your body is supposed to be used. Absolutely. You got to use yeah. that damn thing. I Just, mean, like, I'm really into rollerblading right now. Oh, boy. I could go on mm. about the benefits of rollerblading. Me, I think please. I even was talking to people please. before this. Okay. Rollerblading is so great. Um, and some people are like, oh, I'm, I, my balance is so terrible. I'm like, well, you should probably rollerblade because how do you improve your balance by doing things that are make challenging your balance? Like, yeah. you don't get better by avoiding it. So. Uh. That's what people say. Oh, I I can't rollerblade because that. No, you should rollerblade. Just wear your helmet. Gets you know knee pads, get elbow your knee pads, pads. Do what you got to do. Hand things too. I don't. You I don't? I just have the helmet. Ooh, what about your hands? Uh, don't you worry about the soft tissue in your fingers? No, not at all. <laughs> I rode across the Atlantic. <laughs> like I'm used to the, you know, having rough, kettles rough stuff. Yeah. Needed. But running, and I think. Most uh, endurance athletes end up doing the same repetitive thing, right? Right. And what most weaknesses are your hips. Like, and a lot of people have knee issues, which is because of weak hips. And so I think what's really great about rollerblading is it targets, it targets the very um, areas that are um, often very like underdeveloped with running and biking and repetitive and that's your hip muscles. Hips, and then I think there's the stabilizing muscles, mm -hmm. and like you'll get that with like the Pilates and and things like you know one-legged type drills. And and I don't I don't necessarily think the stabilizers like w from my experience like if my quads are really strong and I'm trying to run, I'm going to rely on my quads. And I'm not going to be like, hamstrings work really hard because I already know my quads are really strong. But with rollerblading, I think it gets into all these little stabilizing muscles. Mm. And I, so the areas that I'm really sore from rollerblading is like my low back. And that's another area that matters a lot with like running because um, like, I think running, you could definitely think about like your strength and your muscle, but but what's also, from my understanding, is like thirty percent of your run efficiency happens like because of your form, and yeah, low back definitely helps with form. And I don't know, I was just like thinking about like what sports are fun, and I don't think you could be in a bad mood while ro rollerblading. Yeah, it seems like it's a good time. I yeah.
It's I, I just yeah, it like looks it really, festive. You can't be angry while you're rollerblading. No, and you could like listen to music and yes. like jam out, have fun. Jam out. Yeah. I jam out. There you go. That's what my friend and I are doing every weekend now. So that's your thing. Uh, for now, you gonna rollerblade across America? Um, no. Are you thinking about it? No, I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. It's really okay. So I have the three wheeled rollerblades. There's four wheels, which is what most people probably have used, but three wheels are a lot faster, and it's really hard to stop. Is it two in the front or in the back? No, it's 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 not skating. It's like oh, one. inline. Yeah. Oh, like a blade. Yes. Oh. Okay. So I cannot stop very well. Well, that sucks. And so I would not want to go across America if I didn't know how to stop. Why it. don't you go roller skating? Is that too easy? Oh, no. I don't. I, I feel like That's it's for slower. Oh, you want to go fast. I mean, it does feel, feel like Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, who wants to go slow? I get it. Like, so I think rollerblading is really fun and people should try it if they haven't. It seems like a good time. Yeah. And there are certain things that like, so like gymnastics, it like, it's very artistic and fun to watch. But I'm sure for the gymnasts, it's not actually fun and artistic to do. But I think like ice skating and rollerblading, like it's fun for the person and for the person watching. Like I don't know. I think gymnastics are fun. My daughter, my middle daughter, does gymnastics. She's really good at it. And she yeah. loves it. She, uh, we have to stop her from doing it in the house. She does like back handsprings in the hallway. Wow. We gotta go. Hey, hey, hey! Come on. That's Cut the cool. shit. Yeah. She That's... loves it. Like she gets out on the trampoline, does flips, and all kinds of shit. She goes bananas. You can't stop her. She loves it. I've never really been. I always assumed that because it just looks so hard. I think a lot of things that look hard when you finish them is a feeling of elation. Does that sound familiar? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think when you don't think you could ever do a backflip and then all of a sudden you you can hit two in a row or do a tuck and do a forward one and, and you start doing it and then you get better and your form gets better. It's like everything else. It's like martial arts. You know, yeah. like martial arts are really hard. Yeah. But when you get good at it, it's like, wow, it feels like you're in a real live video game, you know? Yeah. Do you have anything that you're like, you know, like my little thing is like the splits. I've never worked my way into that. Oh, you like, should be able to do that. You're, you're an athlete. Uh, my hamstrings are really tight. Yeah, you could do it. I mean, it would take time. I think it's fascinating. When I talk to someone like you that is willing to row across the fucking ocean and you're saying it would take time to do the splits. Because my body, yeah, because I trained it to do one thing. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just a matter of stretching. Yeah. It's easy. I mean, it's patience. It's just just consistency. That's true. I've been doing it my whole life. I've been stretching uh, my whole life. So even though I'm a meathead, I'm very flexible. Do you do any of the yin yoga? Yin yoga? What yeah. is that? Oh, okay. So that's like uh, the one where you're just like holding things for three minutes. And like, oh, wow. It's, uh, from my understanding, it's like one of the best types of yoga for runners because, um, yeah, like – it's the least muscular, um, hmm. so it's like it, it would be like nappy time yoga. Like, oh, okay. That one's but mostly that's, on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's okay. like the, probably the best stretching yoga. Yeah, just stretch. 
just make yourself stretch. Yeah. Yeah, just decide I have an hour and a half right now that I'm going to do nothing but stretch. It's very it, it you'd be amazed at how much tension you carry in your muscles too. Yeah. Like whenever I have a show, like a comedy show and I'm a little tense, I stretch. I feel way better afterwards. Yeah. It's like all this and then just like ah oh. it just it just the you have more mobility, everything moves better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I definitely like the tennis ball too for like my back. Oh yeah. That's oh, we best. have these things. Those hype. Have you tried those fucking hyperice balls? Mm -hmm. These, these, they, they're these things. They're hard and they vibrate like crazy. And you roll on them, yeah. and it just <laughs> just say, well, try it afterwards. Afterwards, okay. it's one of our sponsors. But you get on it and roll around on it. It just loosens everything up. It's like oh, it's so much better than a tennis ball. Because I was using oh. lacrosse balls yeah, that's what for I a while. Too. Those are nice. Yeah. This is this is like that times a hundred. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Huh? Dude, the vibration is crazy. It's like what the fuck is in here that makes this thing vibrate like that? And uh, they have a roller that does the same thing. I'll show you later. Yeah, my friend but, has yeah. the wand one that she uses. Like it's some kind of. Um, Alex Honnold was here the other day. Yeah, you know who he is, the, the, the free climber. solo climber. He's yeah. great. And we were talking about flexibility. He's like, yeah, I'm not really that flexible. And I'm like, well, wouldn't it help you yeah, I would to imagine. be flexible? He's like, yeah, 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 you definitely would. And I'm like, why aren't you fucking stretching? And he's like, oh, it's really hard. You know? I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you fucking climb El Cap with no ropes. It's the same thing with you. It's like people are crazy. Like, people have this thing that they do that's really difficult that they don't think is difficult. And then they look at something else. And then be like, I can never play piano. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's the, kind of the same thing. Like we put yeah. limitations on ourselves. Like you say, I would like to be able to do the splits. I swear to God, if you lived in Austin, I could get you to do the splits in 30 days. 100%. Depending on how fucked well, how, up you are. How, how much time would this? You need an hour and a half a day. To do the splits? Yeah. Oof. <laughs> like you could 70 run days across the fucking no, ocean. It's not. It's just like that would be ten miles of running. Yeah. Well, you could do that too. It's uh, not stopping you from doing that. I mean, there's only so much time. Yeah, there's twenty four hours. Yeah, you know how many times there is in a day. <laughs> <laughs> you just do it. But if you wanted that, that's yeah. the thing that you keep saying. You, yeah. You're saying you wish you could do the splits. Well, it's just one of the like yeah in the yeah. future. It's fucking not nothing. right now. It's easy. I, I do it every other, day. Other you do things. it. Yeah. Stretch. All right. You I'll let you know to. when I so when important. I achieve my. It's so important because it prevents injuries. It yeah. allows you to have more range of motion. It's like, it's and it's something that everybody loses. You get older. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, like I I do do weights two or three times a week and then do like a yoga once a week, but I, yeah, I would definitely be more on the cardio side of the fence of oh like, yeah i would imagine well a lot of runners are like real tight a lot of yeah. runners a lot of yeah. runners are very tight hamstrings because it's when you're done with all that running you don't want to fucking stretch you're like oh, exactly done. Let me have yeah. some fruit loops or whatever exactly yeah watermelon for me but yeah. watermelon yeah <laughs> you just want something you know you yeah. don't want to like force yourself into it but um goggins told me that he had such a uh problem with his psoas muscles that it was actually preventing him from running. Like he was, he was trying to figure out what was wrong with him, huh. and then he realized it was just tightness of his muscle. Uh. And so then he started stretching, and then he got obsessed with stretching. And I think he told me he stretches two hours every day now. 
something bananas like that but that's very goggins-esque yeah that he would do something that hard two hours a day yeah. but it's just it's everything stretching's everything it's so yeah. important because it sucks because the thing about it too that sucks you know what one sucks for me the most is when um sitting down grabbing my toes and flattening my body to my thighs because uh, it's just yeah. it sucks it sucks to breathe it's not fun it's painful, but but once I do it, I'm like, I did it. Yeah. A lot of those stretches, it's like really bad for the first 30 seconds, and then sometimes it gets yeah. better. Yeah. Or not, but. Yeah, you loosen up. Yeah. Yeah, same thing with doing the splits. The door one's really great where you like lean into it and get your shoulders. Which one is that? How do you, you do it? You put your, you're like in the door frame, and oh, then you lean. Oh, yeah, that's that great. That one's really good. Yeah, yeah. Hanging is great. Yeah. By your hands on the chin-up bar. Yeah. My God, that's so good for your shoulders. It's like so many people have shoulder pain, and a lot of it is just like everything's sort of impacted and tightened up. And, yeah. And it's hard to stretch those things. But just hanging from a chin-up bar, it's like everything sort of like yeah. stretches. And it feels great for your lower back, too. Totally. You know? One of my friends is really into the inversion Oh, yeah. I love those. Tables and everything. Love, you know what's the best one? Um, Teeter makes the ones that you hang by your ankles, but they also make this thing called the Dex. Do you know what that is? Uh -uh. It's the shit. You put your legs in it, almost like a leg curl thing, and then it, it, it hinges forward. And so you're hanging just from your hips. So there's no... Um, the thing uh, about the inversion table is you're hanging by your ankles. Yeah, and it's great. It yes. does loosen everything up, but this specifically targets your back. That's how it works. Oh. It's phenomenal. It reminds me of that, like, uh, ab crunch yes, thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, exactly. And you can do back extensions on that thing, too. You could use it for that as well if you want to. But that, that, oh, sorry. No, it's okay. This is, like, definitely good for, like, one of the things with ultra running that I notice, like, there's a lot of weird things that, like, and one of them, like, is the swollen hands and, like, swollen feet. And yeah. usually every time after a long run, I'm always, like, putting putting my feet up. Yeah, I'm sure. Just, just to, to try that. to balance it out. Yeah. And, yeah. That thing, though, for the, you feel your back going, like, pop, pop, pop. You feel everything just sort of loosening up and decompressing. Yeah. You know? Love that thing. Cool. You know what's a great piece of equipment that I just started using, re using recently? Let me guess. Go ahead. Give me a hint. Uh, it's for your legs. Um, is it? Uh, <laughs> wait, is it the ones? Sound like? Is it like the ones that puff up and give you a massage? No, those are great though. Normatec. Yeah. Those are the shit. Okay, yeah, those bad. are great. Hmm. No, this is an actual weightlifting thing. Huh. Maybe I never even heard of it then. It's called monkey feet. You know what monkey feet are? I have yoga toes totally different mm. yoga toes stretches your toes out that's yeah, great that's, for your feet it's really good those are legit yeah. i like that i do too yeah monkey okay. feet's a different thing it's a it's actually a harness that you put onto the bottom of your sneaker or your shoe and then underneath it you can hold a dumbbell oh so it's almost like you can hold something with your foot because this thing grasps the dumbbell at the bottom i need to see this yeah and you what it's great for is like your hip flexors you can lift like this you're lifting weights like up with your legs and doing leg curls with it it's phenomenal it's huh. really good and it's amazing how fucking weak your legs are 
in those ways like yeah. even if you do a lot of squats yes like i can squat and deadlift and put some pretty heavy weight on the rack but this is like 25 pounds it's difficult for me to do a leg curl yeah i'm like oh this is shocking yeah because i was like I was like, these dumbbells, like 25 pounds, I'm like, they're probably not going to be enough. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm probably going to have to curl like 75, 80 pounds. No. 25 pounds, I'm like five reps in. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I'm falling apart here. Seven, eight. I'm like, that's crazy. 25 pounds is nothing. I thought, like, my legs carry me around all day. Yeah. But it's such an odd way for you to lift weights with your legs. Totally. Like, yeah. I've been doing- See if you can find that. You I finally found it, yeah. yeah. So uh, so this is it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you hook that thing onto your sneaker. Yeah. And then the barbell, or the dumbbell rather, at the bottom uh, hooks onto this thing. And it, it's easy to take on and off. It's really well engineered. Okay, I, I love it. How is this? What if that's, you just have works. like ankle weights? How is this better than ankle weights? Oh, ankle weights are okay. But it's hard to get ankle weights in 25, 35 pounds, right? Okay. Most ankle weights are like 5, 10. This is better. And uh, I just... I just think it's phenomenal. I've, I've been using it recently over the last like few weeks, and uh, I'm I'm very impressed. And I'm impressed at how fucking sore my thighs are afterwards. Yeah, because I'm doing this thing. There's this guy. Uh, he's got a. It's called knees over toes. He's got this um, protocol for um, strengthening your knees. Yeah, and uh, it's crazy what this guy can accomplish physically like what he's capable of and this is a guy that's had a ton of different surgeries and one of his uh his key like these kind of moves where they would always tell you don't ever have your knees over your toes when you squat yeah and he's like no the reason why is because your knees aren't stable build your way up to that but then work those muscles and you get phenomenal strength what he calls dense strength in your oh. legs like look at look what he could do with his hamstrings that's wild. Oh, it's wild. He goes all the way down forward and then can lift himself up. And he can also go all the way back. So like, so like he can like be on his knees and fall all the way back. So his back touches the back of his heels. And then yeah. without using his hands, come back up. Like uh, go. There he is doing it. Yeah. Watch, watch him do this because this is fucking crazy. Watch this. All the way down. Now watch. He goes all the way to the bottom and then comes all the way back up again. That's incredibly difficult to do. Okay. So I've been doing this guy's workouts, and he has them all available for free on his, on his Instagram. You can see how he's doing it, or you can sign up for their program, and they'll put you. What, what does ATG stand for? Uh, what is it? Athletic Truth Group, I think. Click yeah, click on that. On that one, that, click on that because there's a guy that's doing that, um, whole, that guy in the middle. Watch that guy. Watch this because this is crazy. Now, this is... This is what they'd hope you do, where you can go from your toes all the way down to your knees like that, but watch. He goes all the way to the bottom. This is completely controlled. Now watch. He goes all the way down and back, and then all the way back up. It's incredible. I bet they have really good fail videos about this one. Yeah, well, it's a slow build. <laughs> yeah. they, 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 that's why you need to follow the program. But like, look what it says in his uh, quote there, Jamie, if you can pull it. Say, this is not an example of, training, of uh, a training session of how I got here. This is simply a test of what I've been working on for the past three years with Athletic Truth Group, uh, at Athletic Truth Group on Instagram. Because I never worked through pain on this entire journey to get to this point, which is really amazing. 
So the but as a person who's been doing athletics and stretching my whole life, yeah, I'm super impressed by that movement. That that's a very very difficult movement to control, and that guy's doing it super slow. They do a lot of split squats, um, and the the idea of these uh, split squats, and they're they're working their way to that place where you can put weight and as it goes lower and lower and lower you're putting more and more pressure on the knee and on the surrounding stabilizing muscles but i've had a a big improvement just from doing this i've been doing this following this protocol for the past few months and uh just my knees just feel stronger Mm. like everything around them feels more stable and stronger I think what's encouraging about that, too, is him saying he never felt pain through it. And I think, I mean, that's so cliche, but like no pain, no gain. Like that's a message that doesn't always apply and is actually. Take it from a woman who rode across the entire (laughs) fucking ocean. Okay, that no pain, no gain (laughs) is for nonsense people. (laughs) I mean, like pain is some our body giving us a helpful message. Yes. Like, hey, dude. Stop it. Settle down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many guys that, you know, um, especially guys, they just want to be, uh, they want to be the person who can take the most pain, you know? Yeah. They want to pump each other up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, pain tolerance is a helpful thing for like doing athletic things for sure. And especially for events, right? Like when yeah. you're doing these hundred mile yeah. runs, you're going to experience yeah. discomfort. But I would say, like, even in a 100-mile run, I think what's hardest is the first 10 miles um, because what I don't have is endorphins, and endorphins give you energy. Endorphins mask pain. Endorphins, Mm. like, I I think, yeah, what's, you know, some, yeah, like— you assume that the farther you go, the harder it is. But sometimes the farther I go, the easier it gets, which is kind of cool to experience. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. I guess, up to a point. Yes. But yeah. those like Moab 240s. Yes. And, yeah. After a while, I would imagine like, Jesus. I think anything after 24 hours is when things start getting weird, just like hallucinating and like sometimes it's the blurred vision mm-hmm. and yeah just because it's messing with your body's natural systems of like we need sleep and yeah but it's cool to see how you can take these extreme things and make it tolerable for your body and like even liquids like i don't eat food when i do these things nothing no just all sports drinks gels do you take any protein gels or no um it's mainly like sports drink one of them is called perpetuum which has a little bit of protein um so and then sometimes i get like this flavorless sports drink and um i i don't know if this is true but like i've i've read certain things about like 30 percent of what you consume is used to break down and use it like if you're eating food um, there's a large, well, a percent that is used to be able to break down that food. So, like, I, I think it's really helpful to do, like, liquid-based because you're not, you don't have to break that down. So mm. your more energy can go to movement rather than food. And now is this something that you've experienced through trial and error? Yeah, yeah. I've definitely, um, I think the hardest thing um, is just, like, getting enough calories in. Um, and getting enough and not also having like GI issues because I Mm. think that's common just like 
Right. Just yeah, I know a lot of people do those. They'll eat cheeseburgers and all kinds of stuff while they're running. Yeah, I have I have done that for like Ironmans, but the more I do it, the more I just kind of treat it like a little science experiment where it's like, okay, what's thirty percent of what I'm burning, and um, what's like, yeah, and if you adjust to the liquid only, I think it ends up being a lot better. Less can go wrong. Yeah. Um, when you say not getting enough calories, like when you have a drink, like how many calories are in one of those drinks? Uh, I want to say like 300, at least 300 calories. Yeah. It would seem like you need a lot more than that. Well, I've heard that like if you take in too much, your body can't even use it. So while you're running, you mean? Uh huh. Yeah. But yeah, that and bananas. And that's pretty bananas much. Bananas is a big one. Yep. Bananas and sports drink. That's all I need. Now, did you learn how to eat for these things? Did you did you start off? Did you have some bad ideas that you had to like flush out? Um, one time I did do an Ironman, and the coach that I was working with is like. It's like you went to the buffet and just had a little bit of everything and like <laughs> <laughs> because I think I had like um like those uh not like turkey jerky but like just like that kind of thing and then fruity things and um yeah I think I was so nervous and I was like okay I need to make sure I have sugar and salt and this and so um that definitely like it's not that I had to stop, but it just was like I didn't feel as good. And, um, like, yeah, I've definitely felt nauseous during some of these races. But it doesn't help, like, with Ironman that you're, like, kind of hunched over and, like, right. it's hard to keep anything down. And so – but, yeah, a lot of people don't can't even keep things down when they're working out that at that level, so – yeah, I can only imagine. What What is your diet like normally? Um, right now, I am vegetarian. So, um, I mean, I, it's nothing special. It's just kind of generally healthy. So vegetarian, so you include eggs? I do. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a good move. Yeah. Do you have chickens? If you have chickens, it's the best move. Because then it's <laughs> like your pets. They give you food. Yeah. I don't know. Like... I read something recently about like uh like the conditions for people who are working at like yeah animal processing plants and how like it kind of like there's a certain kind of like PTSD that they experience and how like how mentally it affects if your job is to kill animals all day like Oh yeah. How can you – I just – yeah, I, I, I think – Oh, yeah, that's not good. No, it, no. You can't imagine that being good for someone to kill all day long and, like, how that messes with them psychologically. So well, for me – One of the first things they look for in serial killers. Exactly. Yeah. Like I was – torture animals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, once I started reading stuff like that, I was like, that's okay. I don't want to, like – and I know I could, like, hunt and do those things, but being vegetarian is – I bet you'd enjoy that the hunting thing because it's really difficult. Hmm. I bet you'd you'd find that quite challenging. 
Like an elk hunt? I don't know. Like, I feel like I would feel for the animal, though. You would feel for the animal. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I could do But that. you would eat it for a whole year. Mm. Probably more. Yeah. Yeah. If you shot like a... That's why, like, large animals are the way to go. Yeah. Because it's one death, and you can eat it all year. Yeah. One of my friends just, uh, he got in the lottery. Like, in Maine, you have a lottery that for you moose? could... Yeah, and he got in it. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard tag to get in Maine. It's a once-in-a-lifetime yes. tag, right? Yeah, he's been trying to get on it for years and finally did. Maine has some whopper moose, too. Like, if you shoot a moose, you might eat it for two years. Because yeah. you're talking about an animal that could be, you know, 1,500 pounds plus, And that's on the hoof, probably like 600 pounds of meat. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's a pound of meat almost every day for two years. That's wild. It's wild, yeah. It's um, the best meat in the world for you, too. It's also just you understand where meat comes from. You have a much deeper connection to your food yeah. than if you're uh, just going and buying Chick-fil-A. Totally. Yeah, there's a, we're, we're, we're fucking weird. What we're doing with animals is weird in this country. And our solution might be even weirder. There's two solutions, right? One of them is to pretend that this slop that's pushed into a patty is, is some kind of a meat product. When it's beyond meat, yeah, it's beyond good for you. That shit's terrible for you. If you want to eat vegetarian, you should eat actual, real, whole food. Like eat real vegetables. Yeah, vegetables are good for you. That shit's not good for you. Like that, they've done these studies on rats, and with um, one of those uh, substitute meat burgers, they've shown like increasing rat liver cancer and all these problems these rats are having. The other one that's weird is lab-grown meat. Like that's strange to me, um, but. Sounds like it might be a way better alternative than factory farming if they can get it right. But it just seems like, wow, like we're we're moving so close to like headless things, you know, that you just like saw parts off of and they're twitching and trying to get away. But it doesn't matter because they don't have a head. So what are you worried about? It's just nerves. Yeah. Like it's, it's the connection that you have to your food when you grow your own vegetables, when you harvest your own meat, that it's a different thing. Like totally. food becomes a different thing. It becomes a different thing. It becomes a spiritual thing. And that sounds crazy to people, for people to hear. Like if I eat a piece of elk from an animal that I kill, I'm connected to that. I remember the arrow hitting the animal. I remember carrying it out. I remember stalking it. I remember everything. And I yeah. eat it for a year. I give it to my friends, you know, it's like, the food is, it's a different thing. If you grow a garden and you have a salad that you pulled from your garden, while well, you're eating that, that salad, like you're connected to that. Totally. Like you planted it, you cleaned it, you harvest it. You, like if a leaf drops on the ground, you pick it up and you wash it off. You don't throw it away. Yeah. Like you, this is, you grew that leaf. There's something, we're, we're, all, we're doing ourselves a severe disservice. And I know most people can't be involved in all of the preparation or the harvesting of their food. They just don't have the time. Yeah. They have a family, they have a job, they have a this, they have a that. I get it. But if you can, if you can find the time to grow your own food, if you can find the time, if you eat meat to hunt, I highly recommend it. Totally. I, like uh, the college that I went to actually is was a farm school. So um, we worked the farm and then we had like a community service um, component and like ran the school, but we had our own plots of land and the cafeteria was all from like the cattle. And oh, wow. so it was very 
crunchy granola and like but once you taste food that's like that it's hard not to yeah eat that again taste better and, and you just feel better about it yeah you yeah. appreciate it yes you appreciate it yeah we're like some spoiled trust fund kids their perception of money you know, like it's always there like that's how we feel about meat and food it's yeah. weird yeah it's not and it's real recent you know human beings have only been allowed to have this luxury over the last hundred years and not really even a hundred years it's really yeah. been over the last 50 or 60 and correspondingly we've gotten way fatter if you look at people from the 1930s and 1940s my goodness those people look slim you know I mean they weren't healthy it's hard to get food back then it was difficult right like a lot of people were fucking starving in the 1800s right but people now it's like this is not the the better option to be eating so much that you're fat like we're so weird that our poor people are fat. Well, it's that's I mean, never happened before. Usually, like the cheaper food is the not healthy. Like it's harder mm -hmm. to, like yeah. I, I mean, I, I I've wouldn't you agree that like it's having poor people having to be dealing with obesity is usually because of the like uh, what is the it's like called a food desert when you, mm -hmm. there's places that they don't even have yeah fresh foods so i think yeah like if you lack financial resources that's even more reason that you wouldn't be able to access that but yeah not only that, it's a terrible cycle to try to get out of. If you yeah. grow up in that environment, you live in that environment, and you grow up eating that way, and your family eats that way, and the people around you eat that way, and everyone around you is poor, it's yeah. super hard to get out of that. Totally. I mean, you you kind of adjust to that, and then, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like how certain fast foods have things that make it so that you're more addicted to... Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of sugar. There's sugar yeah. and all that stuff. It's also... You know what we were talking about before that I've uh, from having all these conversations with people my my box the, the like my understanding of human beings is way wider it's way different yeah. because I've experienced all these people if you only experience a small number of people your box would be very small and you put people in well if you your environment is so important and if your environment is very limiting and if you're only experiencing bad food and shitty people and poverty and being in this like weird crime-ridden area that's your box like it's very hard for a person like that to escape it's very hard for a person like that to recalibrate their view of the world and I don't understand why we don't put more effort into trying to expand the box that these people live in this hmm. this the, the perspective that these people have because it would benefit everybody yeah and i don't it's like i've always said this and i, I was saying this when when uh trump was in office and he was like make america great again like y this is how you make america great again make it so there's less losers less people lose at life and i don't mean losers like there's something wrong with them i mean like they got a bad hand Right, yeah. if you're playing poker and you have four aces and I have a one, I'm fucked, right? And that's a lot of people's lives. Well, if you have more people who have better hands, then you have a better, stronger country because yeah. you have more competition, you have more opportunity, you have more exceptional people, 
through that competition, more people are going to rise, more people are going to innovate, more people are going to create businesses and chase their dreams, and it's going to inspire more people. You're going to have less crime. It's it's great for everybody. Totally. But for whatever reason, there's zero political emphasis on this. Zero. It's never a factor. Whenever people are running for president, they're never saying, what we got to do is take these impoverished communities and fucking fix that. We need yeah. to fix that because it can be fixed. If we can go to Afghanistan and send thousands of troops and nuclear bombs, tell me, how, tell me we can't fix Chicago. Tell me we can't fix South Side of Chicago. Tell me we can't fix Detroit or Baltimore or what, if, pick your impoverished neighborhood that's been crime-ridden for decade after decade after decade with almost no federal emphasis on repair. Yeah. So if there's one area you think our country could improve the most and what change would you think? Well, there's a bunch of areas, right? But that's a big one. Yeah. A big one is the the way people grow up and the environment that they grow up in and the the people that grow up without hope and that they're what they're imitating because people imitate their atmosphere when they're children, they grow up. You're seeing people that are constantly going to jail, constantly involved in violence, constantly involved in crime, and that you become acclimated to that. That's what you're used to. Yeah. That we that needs to be fixed. If you grow up in, you know, pick a nice place, you know, some some Boulder, Colorado or whatever. It's not like that, right? It's yeah. beautiful. It's kind people. Everybody's friendly. It's different, right? Because you don't have the same pressure. You don't have gangs in Boulder. You don't have all the, you know, so the, these places, it's just, it's just literally a matter of you got to, the, the universe gave you a shitty roll of the dice. Yes. And you were born into a bad neighborhood. I agree. I I guess one of my encouragements in that is like sometimes like when you have like like you said Boulder Colorado everyone's friendly and do like the nice things right Not like everyone. but you <laughs> <laughs> but the nice things like sometimes there's the diamond in the rough and sometimes under that pressure something can be born that wouldn't be born without all the chaos and all the and so maybe those and while i would never wish poverty while i would never wish crime and all those heartaches i have seen the stories i have you know i think anyone can identify with oh this thing was really hard but then this beautiful thing came from it so Yes, and I think some of the biggest redemption stories come from places where something is so broken that someone rises to to do something about it or I don't know. You know what I mean, right? I do know what you're saying. That through yeah, through pressure you create diamonds. Yeah. yeah that is true. But I don't want everyone yes. to have to do that. No. I feel like you can make your own pressure. Yeah. Like look at you. You know, you've made your own pressure, right? I think that uh, challenges are very good for people, but I don't necessarily think the kind of challenges that you get if you're born in the South Side of Chicago and you know you watch people get shot all the time. Absolutely, I don't think that's. that's, But out of those environments comes some pretty amazing, exceptional people because they've risen through all these obstacles and through that adversity, they've gained tremendous character. Totally, you get amazing artists. Right, you get amazing musicians and comedians and those kinds of people that have come from these horrible environments. That is true. It's almost like you hear that more than you hear like, "Oh, everything was perfect. This thing happened." Like this great from exceptional people. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I would say that's a common thread. Do you want to have children someday? 
Um, I don't know. You don't know? I don't. Um, when you have children, one of the things that's ironic is, for me at least, all my favorite people came from a fucked up environment. All of them. Yeah. All of them came from either crime-ridden neighborhoods or horrible upbringings or chaos, and through that they've developed this amazing character. Like, because most of my favorite people are either fighters, martial artists, or stand-up comedians. That's most of the group that I hang around with. Yeah. And they're all from chaos, yeah. all of them. But through that, I, I, I'm just so lucky that I know these exceptional people that are just, they're so, they're so battle-tested. Yeah. You know, and then some people are just made out of jello. Some people, they're little bags, little skinny, fucking thin walled, like Ziploc bags of jello. Just <laughs> there's no character, no form, and they, they just don't have any ability to weather the storm. Yeah. Because they never have had to. Yeah. And like, it's like the character has to be tested for yeah. it to. So as a parent, it's yes. so fucked up because I don't want my kids to struggle. But it's like how my else? My babies. Yeah. I don't want them to have a hard time. I want them to be happy and I want them to be loved and I want them to have good friends and I want them to pursue their dreams and have a good time. That's what I want. Everybody to have a good time. But all my favorite people came from madness. So it's uh, it's weird. So, yeah. So I think um, I encourage my kids to do difficult things. You know, yeah, and they do. They do do difficult things. They're in, they're in, interested in challenges. Yeah, and you develop character through those challenges. And I think that's why sports are so important for people because some of the most fucked up people that I know, in terms of uh, psychologically and their ability to cope and adapt and form relationships, they never competed. Yeah. They don't know how to lose, and they consider because I, I think there's something in human beings where competing is an inherent it's a part of your dna in some strange way and i think like it comes from survival i think it comes from stealing and conquering and taking from one person because you don't have enough and there's this weird sort of thing that humans evolved doing when they were just scratching and scrounging before civilization came along yeah and civilization came along and then it calmed down a little bit because it's it's like it's less important to do that and more important that everybody stick together and keep the wall strong to keep the invaders from coming in but if you don't know how to lose if you don't know how to pick yourself back up and try again if you don't, you're not going to be good at relationships. You're not going to be good at compromise. You're not going to be good at understanding defeat. You're not going to be good at understanding objective analysis of your own behavior, objective analysis of your skill set. The yeah. people who can't do that are almost all people that have never had those those super uncomfortable moments where you do lose. I yeah. think those are hugely valuable lessons for people. I was listening to a TED talk, and it uh, it was about like this guy who set out on a quest to fail, and like it huh. <laughs> at the end, it was so hard for him to like um, or be rejected, and like yeah, it's almost like our society is so like all about success, and like just kind of. I know that TED talk you're talking about. Yeah, yeah and he yeah, had yeah. to try to go to the neighbors, and he wanted to like plant a. A shrub in their front yard and they're like no but this lady down the street would love it and like okay yeah <laughs> and so, she says no yeah 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 but like that is a beautiful thing and like i think 
yeah, on any journey to be successful, it's like you have to really get comfortable being unsuccessful or failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just being okay with failure. That's it. Yeah, it's it's important. The you, you only get the peaks if you've experienced the valleys. Ooh. You just you don't get those peaks if you're just on a fucking peak all the time. What's the biggest f- failure that was hard for you to bounce back from? Oh. Ooh. I've had a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know where to start. As a comedian, you have a lot of them cuz you bomb a lot, especially yeah. in the beginning. I there's a lot of bombing. Yeah, I can. And imagine. then before that, I I was a martial artist. I'm still a martial artist, but I used to fight, so yeah. I I lost. Losing in fights is not – that's the worst. But not just losing in fights, but just like losing in training because you're training and you get your ass kicked in the gym. That's that's terrible. I mean, that's when you lose, feeling. it hurts for oh, you. Yeah. Like when I lose, it's yeah. – yeah, it doesn't have the same – Even when you win, it hurts a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just hurt. it hurts everywhere. Like your arms hurt and you realize, oh, I got kicked there. Like, like why, how come I can't pick something up with my left arm? And then you realize, like, oh, yeah, I, I took a shin to my elbow. Now yeah. my elbow's fucked up for a couple of weeks. Or I didn't tap out to this arm, and now I can't do a chin-up for a few weeks because I decided I was going to try to be a meathead and muscle out of something instead of tapping, and now I can't do a chin-up. Oh. Like, and now my neck doesn't work so good because someone caught me in a guillotine. And, yeah, there's always that. I think martial arts are a great vehicle in the, for that. What I, what I always say is it's, and I learned this from my Taekwondo instructor when I was a kid, that martial arts is a vehicle for developing your human potential. Because it's not, what you think you're doing is you're trying to win exchanges and, and, and fights and sparring rounds, but what you're really trying to do is get better. You're trying to get better and the problem is presenting itself in the form of this thinking intelligent person that also can do all the things you can do so you're not kicking uh, an inanimate object you're trying to kick a person who knows that you're trying to kick them and they know how to kick you and they're trying to kick you Hmm. and so you're both doing it at the same time and it's this wild exchange of bones Hmm. and technique and the consequences are terrible if you fuck up. Do you have like a lot of adrenaline when you go into all these fights? Like, well, I've done, haven't done it in a long time. Now but. I just spar, but uh, and I, I hardly ever, I like, I haven't kickbox sparred in more than a year. And the uh, jujitsu sparring is not as scary because the jujitsu sparring is you're just trying to choke each other. Hmm. It's like, and you can always tap. It's it's it, the consequences. The only the really, really the scary thing about jujitsu is injuring yourself right it's like you get a, an ankle rolls and then your knee pops or you know so you get caught in a funny thing and your neck gets fucked up those yeah. that's what's scary about jujitsu it's like the con- and what's scary for a lot of people that do jujitsu is the idea that you're going to get hurt and you're not going to be able to do it yeah because people get so addicted to it oh yeah like i feel like the hardest thing is not actually starting at stopping like mm. Yes. And like for me now I'm at a place where it's like I'm not afraid of going. I'm going I'm afraid of going too far, going so far that like I mean, yeah. Rabdo was the last one and like I mm-hmm. yeah, just knowing the limit and like where Have you ever tried any martial arts? No. You're really strong. I'm sure you'd be great at jiu-jitsu. Well, thank you. I, I, if you could fucking row across the entire, <laughs> I mean, my goodness, what kind of core strength and leg strength and shoulder strength you must have. You must be strong as fuck. I mean. You have I, to be to do Ironmans, do all that stuff. 
And to have that kind of endurance, you'd probably be amazing at jujitsu. You just got to work on your flexibility. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you probably would love it. I it's don't know about injury, though. Eh. You know, I don't want to. You don't get injured all the time, you know. It seems like you get more injured than ultra stuff. Well, I would imagine you guys get a lot of stress fractures. And Goggins sent me some pictures of his fucking knees where he got his knees drained. And it was like these three giant tubes of blood that were in his knees. I mean, giant fucking syringes of blood and pus in his knees. Yeah, I never (laughs) experienced anything like that. Well, he's crazy, though. If he's hurt, you're never going to hear about it. He's just going to keep going. What was that? Yeah, I said if he's uh, hurt, you're yeah. never going to hear about uh, it. He's just going to keep going. Yeah. So he's got all this, you know, injuries compound and just has to get his knees drained. Yeah. My friend's a doctor, worked on him, and uh, they sent me pictures of the uh, the pus and the blood. But why? Because his knees swole up. Like... From running, because he's constantly running, like, ridiculous miles. I know people who run ridiculous miles and do not have whatever that. They should should run with David Goggins. (laughs) (laughs) He sends me text messages out of nowhere. Stay hard! Just out of nowhere. Just tells you to stay hard. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) Have you ever seen his videos online? Well, okay, here's the thing. You could have fun. You could stay hard, but you could have fun. Uh-uh. He he's not interested in having fun. He's not interested in having fun. He I does could... have fun. I've had fun with him. I've taken him to UFC fights. We've had uh-huh. dinner together. He's fun. He's great to hang out with. You could but... run 100 miles and have fun. He's it's... not interested in that. He's interested in, in killing demons. Like some of these, like even professional triathletes, like Christy Wellington, she always looks like she's having fun. Yeah. Huge smile. David Goggins is interested in taking those demons inside of his head and making them his bitch. He could That's have fun he too. <laughs> He's missing Make out on those some demons fun. your bitch. Those demons ain't going away. You ever seen his videos that he has I, on Instagram? Yeah, I see. I have seen some <laughs> of they, his stuff. They get you uncomfortable. Well, I'm just like, uh, uh, we could have fun. No, That's no, all. no. There's no fun. <laughs> His fun is that that is his fun. His fun is making demons his bitch. Okay. Well, I just mean like you could do the same thing yes. and you could do them in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And I prefer For doing sure. it in a fun way. This is a new one? Uh, pretty new. We, we go to that one that I had on, that I put up on my Instagram cuz it's it's hilarious cuz it was so f- one of the more recent. I oh, put a bunch dear. of them up. But one of the more uh recent ones that I put up I do where he was talking about making his demons his bitch. That like you know he came from a place. I think what's encouraging for his story is like he was like three hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. He he developed this mindset because he was just embarrassed by how weak he felt. He just felt like he was weak and he's soft, and he allowed himself to get horribly out of shape. There it is, right there. <laughs> I think I've seen this one. <laughs> so, I'm training for life. Two thousand twenty was the perfect example of that. A lot of people lost jobs, lost businesses, lost family members. A lot of folks spent a lot of time in the hospital on ventilators. That should have caused a lot of demons in your brain. Folks see how much that work out. And they think I'm running from demons. It's not demons, it's discipline. And I'm a disciple of discipline. You cannot run your demons. 
They'll always find you. Only way to beat them motherfuckers is look at them eye to eye and make them your bitch. <laughs> Mindset's the only thing that gets you through hard times. Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> you will not see a video like that. Ah! I love that guy so much. Oh, I love him so much. I'm just I so happy he's out there. Make him your bitch! Look those demons in the eye! <laughs> While he's running! And you know he's really thinking those thoughts. That is not insincere. You know there's a lot of people that have these like hype up, motivational yeah. things. What you need to do with your life is you need to get everything together. You need to get out there and get motivated and get pumped up and have some positive energy and go out there and attack the world. You know, they're yeah. full of shit. There's like, it's, these are empty promises. This is a yeah. hollow vessel. Totally. That dude is thinking that while he's saying it, while he's doing it. He's in there. He's running while he's saying those words. He's thinking, I'm making those demons my bitch. And he's doing it. Yeah. I, and you, hit, you know how many people saw that video and just said, fuck it, I'm going out. And they just put the running shoes on. They just start running or they hit the gym. They start doing chin-ups. They start doing something. like That guy, is a, he is an engine of motivation. Hmm. He makes things happen. Yeah. His just his life leading by example yeah. makes things happen. Yeah. I see it. I know, but you're not that way. But you don't have to be that way. You you can have a good time and smile through your trials and tribulations. I mean, I think what is also underrated is habit. Like habit. there's motivation and then there's habit. And yes. like um I don't know. Here's what I've experienced about motivation like um most people like think you have to be motivated before you run 100 miles or before you run a mile or before you do things but i find that motivation happens while or after you begin like running one mile makes it easier to run the next mile or like whatever it is if you're writing a paper it's a lot easier after you write the first page so like i don't even think motivation is that important like you don't need to wait to be motivated to do anything you just mm. do it and then motivation it's kind of like motivation equals movement and it's easier to move once you kick the ball and so the ball just keeps moving so even motivation it's like yes of course it's important but if you just say oh i'm just going to do it and motivation will eventually show up it's kind of like you're friend that's always late to the party like oh that's motivation like usually i don't know i don't know if motivation do you see what i mean i do see what you mean yeah like, no I, I completely agree with you that motivation is not it's not primary no. discipline is primary correct exactly like yeah. motivation is like feelings yeah. like um like we don't like we don't say oh, do I feel like brushing my teeth today? Do I feel like doing this? Sometimes it's just like you make a choice and whether you feel or don't feel, you've already just made a commitment and you just understand that sometimes you feel or don't feel, but eh. I completely agree with you. I feel like motivation is like, for me, it's dessert. Yeah. What's important is the food. Yes. But I like dessert too. That's true. So the motivation yeah. is dessert. So sometimes... I just like motivation. Sometimes I just want to listen to some fucking crazy music and watch fights on the TV and work out like a monster. Just yeah. go crazy. Totally. And I need motivation. Like, that's yeah. my motivation. Like, ah, and go crazy. But the bulk of the work gets done 
where I like have a cup of coffee, I get up in the morning and I don't want to do it. Yeah. I'm not feeling like, oh, I'm going to go work out like a fucking savage. No, I'm not thinking that. Yeah. But I have a schedule. Exactly. And so like, especially like my kickboxing workout days, I know exactly what I have to do. So I start the timer and I have three rounds of shadow boxing with weights. So I do the three rounds and then I have six rounds on the wrecking ball bag. And then I have six rounds on the tie bag. And then by the time I'm done with the wrecking ball bag, I am nine rounds in, I'm soaked with sweat, music is playing, and now I'm going. Now I'm going. Now I'm, bah, bah, bah. now yeah. everything is like super energetic and, but it's because I made myself do it. Because I, in the beginning, like, I work out most of the time at like nine in the morning. I don't want to work out at nine in the morning. Yep. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But I have to do that. So I do that. And just one foot in front of the other, and next thing you know, it's happening. What I love about the kickboxing workout days when I do those is I have a timer. I have this um, title. There's a company that makes this uh, boxing timer. And it just it shows me a, a, a red light when I don't have to go and a green light when I go. And the green light goes on. It goes ding, 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 ding. And then I have three rounds of savagery. And then after that, it'll give me a whole minute where I could drink water and rest. And I know it's coming. Here it comes. And ding, ding, ding. Round starts again. And then yeah. so it's I'm on a schedule. Like I can't deviate. The yeah. schedule's clear. It's right in front of you. You have to do it. Uh, those th so that's like like schedules are really important like you can't say oh i'm gonna work out what am i gonna do hmm you know fucking write it out bitch yeah write down what you're yeah. gonna do and yes. then just go do that totally. and then once you start doing it once you're a couple steps in three four movements in you know you're on your third set you're on your fifth set then you're in it then you're in it then you're sweating then everything's going but for someone who's maybe really thinking like oh, i gotta get my shit together i don't know what's wrong with me you watch a video like that that is where where motivation comes in motivation yeah. is like those embers those are the very first few embers you can't heat your fucking house with embers you yeah. need logs you need a fire you need to chop the wood you need to do all that work yeah but sometimes people just need a video they need something that's true and just i think just seeing someone else do it yeah because then you're not the person like if you see someone else, then you're like, okay, if he's doing it, I can too. But yeah, I've I've watched videos like that when I was training to do like pull-ups and just seeing, because yeah, I felt like that. How many pull-ups like, can you do in a row? Uh, right now, I don't think I could do more than a couple, but like. What I was, was at your best? Like 10. That's pretty good. Oh, cool. So, don't you think? The most um, push-ups was like 50, and then the most- Wow, that's a lot. I was happy about that one. That's pretty good. Because like it was for Coast Guard training, and that was the maximum that the females could do. So I was like- okay. That's the maximum they let you do? That you can get to get like, we get tested on, um, like for officer training, we were tested for running, <clears throat> sit-ups, and push-ups. So push-ups, you're at the top of the food chain. That yeah, her. that's impressive. That's 50s a lot. But if for a woman, 10 chin-ups is a lot. That's, you know, strict chin-ups. That's, yeah. that's a lot. It, I, I was definitely training for that in, like, for a summer. Just like, when I see those CrossFit, those kipping ones, yeah, no. I was like, I don't know if that's the way no. to do it. No. I mean, there's probably a benefit in that. There's something to it. It does look weird, though. Well, you know... 
There's a guy named Fedor Emelianenko. He's probably one of the greatest uh, heavyweight fighters of all time. He used to be the heavyweight champion of Pride. And I used to watch him do that. He always did those kipping pull-ups. I would probably have made fun of them if I didn't see Fedor doing them. Uh, I'm like, maybe there's something to it. Yeah. Maybe. But it seems like it's not as not as hard. I mean, when I was like specifically trying to do it, I would definitely be... Um, like when I was going down, that was when I would try to take as much time. Yeah. Versus even going up. So. Yeah, me too. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Because that seems like the way to do it. I don't do know. you ever do CrossFit or anything like that? Um, I have done it in the like uh, sometimes in the winters. I'll I'll do it, but uh, I mainly like doing body weight. Like right now, I'm doing a lot of bar. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like you were saying earlier, like That's with B A R R E, right? Yeah, for people at home. Yes. Like, what does she mean? She goes to the bar. <laughs> what the fuck does that? Mean? But like some of these workouts, I'm only using like five pound weights, and I could like totally blow out like oh, my yeah. muscle groups and stuff. So I have these uh, egg weights that I shadow box with. They're five pounds. Yeah, five pounds in each hand. That you can. It's hard. Especially the ones where you're like that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need a lot of weight for a lot of exercises. Especially when your shoulders are extended with weight. Oh. Like when you do eyes, Ys, and Ts, you know those? Yes. Uh You don't even need, like 15 pounds is a lot when you're doing those. Yeah. It seems like it shouldn't be, but it is. You know? Definitely the shoulder stuff. Yeah. can tell, like, all you need is five pounds. Yeah, a small amount of weight. I use, uh, do you know what club bells are? You ever use Uh those? They're these, um, like, it's like a club, like a small baseball bat made out of steel. And uh, I do a crazy workout with them with 15 pounds where it's called, you know what a, a shield cast is? Do you know what no, that is? No, this is fancy stuff. No, uh, shield cast is like, you if you had it in your hand like this, like this, if this was the bar, you'd go like this yeah. around and then you hold it in front oh, of like this around yeah. and then you hold it in front yes. like that. Yeah. And it's uh, amazing for shoulder mobility and shoulder strength and endurance and it's really good stuff. Hmm. And it's 15 pounds. It's like if someone's like, all right, we're going to work out hard today, pick up the 15 pounds. People are like, get out of here, bitch. That's, that's uh, he's doing a two-hander one. So he's doing it with a, that looks like a heavier club. That looks like probably maybe 25 or th- maybe even 35 pounds, which is a great way to work out too with so, a 35 pound. But you, and again, people would say 35 pounds. I need shit, bro. I need heavier. Have you been able to do workouts with people on your show like David Goggins? Um, I worked out with some people on the show. Cam Haynes is a good buddy of mine. We've worked out a bunch of times. The runner? Is yeah. Well, he's a, he's a bow hunter. Uh, you know, he does, he, he's a weird guy. He, in a good way, he got into running so he could have more endurance for bow hunting because he hunts elk in the mountains. He considers that the ultimate challenge. Hmm. Yeah, so all of his endurance and all of his 100-mile races and all that shit, he got into all that, all of his crazy workout routines and lifting weights routines. He got into that entirely to be the best bow hunter on earth, and he ar- arguably is. the be- He's certainly in the top three. Like, this is a, a tight argument for who's number one. I tend to think he's number one because he's just – there's no one else who could do the stuff that he does on top of that, the physical things he does on top of that. So he can get to places that other people – like sometimes like you'll see an elk, they'll, they'll cross a ridge and you have to get to them before they get to like a valley where they'll be out in the open. He can get there quicker than anybody can because he, yeah. he can get there and not be tired. 
right? So he could literally run after this animal and his heart rate will be at a totally manageable level. Whereas like if I went after it, I'd be fucking dead, you know, like our fat guy is fucked, right? He can get to places quicker. And so his idea was, I need to be in the best possible shape that I can to be the most successful I can at something that generally has like a less than 10% success rate is bow hunting for elk. So wow. very for the average person, not for a person like him, but for the average person. But even a person like him, he's never unsuccessful. Like every year he's successful, which is just nuts. Like most people, you know, every year or two you, you come up empty because it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Even if you're really good at it and you practice all the time, it's a difficult pursuit. So his thing is very different than other people's thing because he's not doing it just to test himself. He is definitely doing that. But he's also doing it because he wants to be the best bow hunter on earth. So is that common for bow hunters to also train with, like, doing running? It like, is because of him. Oh, so he Yeah, he's of... changed the world. Like, literally. Uh, the, the world of bow hunting is forever changed because of him, 100%. Hmm. Yeah, he's uh, got countless people out there, men and women, that are training they're they're doing um like uh, rocking up hills with weights on their back you know they're doing all kinds of crazy uh you know different weightlifting workouts and running workouts and all these different things so that they can be fit and t in fact since he started doing them I mean, he's been doing it for decades but they've actually developed these um athletic contests that have to do with getting fit just for hunting so there's like a whole, like there's, um, there's a bunch of different organizations that provide various workouts specifically designed for mountain hunters. Because hmm. you're dealing with high altitude, yeah. very steep inclines, very difficult terrain. You, you have to be fit. Like that's the number one problem when I've talked to my friends that are, that are tr um, uh, guides that take people, like that, are, that know the terrain and take people professionally to hunt. I go, what's the number one problem? He's like, fitness. Number one problem with the clients is fitness. Because huh. a lot of these people just can't keep up. I wonder if they have, like, similar workouts to, like, firefighters and, like, just carrying gear mm -hmm. and sure. stairs. and. They say it's legs and lungs. Those are the two most important things for an elk hunter to be successful, legs and lungs. You have to have leg endurance and you have to have cardiovascular fitness. That makes sense. And those are things that every most men hate to work on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, everybody just wants to be fucking jacked. They don't want to look good. But that's it's pretty easy. It's like lifting weights, like that kind of lifting weights, like to be pumped. is. It's not easy. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. But it's way easier than running up hills. Like running up hills is fucking terrible. It is the worst. <laughs> but running downhills is really fun. You like running downhills? So I officiated my friend's wedding on Mount Rainier. And the last three miles were like snow fields, and we brought tarps and we were like luging down. Oh wow! It was amazing. That but sounds fun. Then the rest of it, you could like run down. It's yeah, running down hills is really cool. You should try. Okay. So you're <laughs> <laughs> you just feel like you're flying. Yeah, I get it. It seems like a lot of pounding though. Isn't um, it pounding on your knees? <laughs> I think it's kind of like similar to if you were like jumping on a trampoline or very light and springy as long as you're not locking out your knees. I, yeah, I, I say yes, but like I'm also a midfoot runner, so mm -hmm. I think that makes, that helps. 
as opposed to a heel runner? Yeah, mean? heel yeah. striker. I, I think like heel striking is like three times the impact. And, yeah, must be terrible for you. Isn't that amazing that that's all because of Nike? Yeah. Then they made the running shoe and made the, the heel part fat so you could run on your heels and they changed people's gait. Yeah, well, it's cha- no, now shoes are different for sure. Yeah. But it's pretty bizarre that they did that. Yeah. Like people forever ran on the balls of their feet. Yeah. I mean, yeah, now looking back, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. It's where all the padding is and mm-hmm. how we walk when we're not in shoes. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what's crazy is that your foot is designed as a spring. Yeah. Like it actually reduces the, the impact. It actually catches you. Yeah. And lets it, you know, lets it just decelerate. They're definitely getting better with, like, the wider toe boxes, too, like, mm. so that you can actually use your toes and splay them out. Yes. Yeah. Wider toe box is big. I have wide feet. So for me, that's very important. Like narrow running shoes. I was running on those uh, Vibrams for a while. Those mm-hmm. five toe shoes. You don't like those? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Look at your face. <laughs> Does it, you do not like the way they look or you don't Wait, like the way they Wait, are those like little toe jam ones? Yeah, the toe, toe shoes. No. You don't like the way they look? I don't like the way they feel. Mm. Like toe jam. Toe jam. They're toe jam shoes. Like because they they feel like like something stuck in between your toes. Yeah, like yeah. it's not supposed to be there. But do you think there's any benefit to each toe being able to articulate? Yes, absolutely. Like you're using different muscles in your feet and your legs, mm-hmm. and so yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't have that, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. Have you ever seen that image of? Uh, it's the early 1900s, uh, Native American um, Thorpe. Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe, when he won the Olympics. Uh-uh. He won the Olympics and someone that had stolen his shoes. So uh, he found a pair of shoes in the garbage and they were a mismatch. And one of them was bigger than the other one. So on one of them, he wore two socks. He had like extra socks on one of them. And they're two different colors. And he won the fucking gold medal with these shoes. He needs an extra medal for And that. they look like... Like shoes that people wore when they would like work in an office or something. That's that him. Is Look at hilarious. that. Hilarious. That's him. When he won the fucking gold medal in the Olympics with those he shoes on. Been better off being barefoot though. Like. That um. Point. I don't know. It looks like he's got spikes in them things. Oh. See. Wow. <clears throat> Doesn't that look like spikes in the front of both of them? Totally does, yeah. right? Yeah. Look at I've, that. I've definitely done like 1912 five. Olympics. Jim, pull, pull that up a little. Jim, an American Indian from Oklahoma, representing the U.S. in track and field. In the morning of his competitions, his shoes were stolen, probably by the fucking Russians. Jim ended up finding two shoes in a garbage can. That's the pair he's wearing in this photo. But one of the shoes is too big, so he'd wear an extra sock. Wearing those shoes, Jim won two gold medals that day. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's not about. It's a hard man right there. Hmm. <laughs> so there you go. You like mm, say to that, but I mean, th- what people wore back then. But it, the other thing about shoes back then is um, they're basically minimalist shoes. If you look at it, right? Yeah. Like when Jesse Owens ran, if you look at his shoes, those were what you would consider a minimalist shoe today. Yeah. Right. Like all the padding, all that jazz. That's kind of non-existent back then. Yeah. I mean, I I know that people do the barefoot stuff, and um, 
I think that just being on concrete, like the last ultra I did was like running across Maine and it was all concrete. And even Oof. then I had edema, which is like a swelling of your um, ankles and stuff. So How I bad. Th- um, yeah, it was pretty bad. Like it was bruised. What and- do you do when you get out of there when something like that's over? How do you recover from? Um, so I like the first hundred miler I did, I remember waking up and like I had to go to the bathroom and I was like, okay, time to go to the bathroom. And I remember like telling my legs to move and they didn't. So I was like physically. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't. That was the first. Um, so usually it takes like two days for me to be able to like walk again, like normally. Um, stairs are usually really hard, but, uh, usually like for a lot of these events, um, I don't sleep well the first night just because I still have so much like adrenaline and so much like just really amped up. But then, yeah, it's just a matter of like sleeping a lot and, um, doing like light walks and, um, but. Do you use those Normatec boots? Uh, I have, like, there's a treadmill gym in Portland that I have used them after some of my... You don't have a pair? No. Can we get you a pair? I don't know, can you? Yeah, yeah, I'll get you a pair. Woo! Yeah. I'm thinking of doing another running adventure. Okay. What are you going to do? It's it's a world record. A world record? Yeah, I can't. You can't tell anybody? Can't tell. Can we help? Can we, like, sponsor you or something? Yeah, that'd be amazing. All right, we're in. All right. <laughs> it's in June. But in June? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll talk off the air. All right. You can't spill the beans spill on the, the program. Beans, but, uh, um, but when you announce it, yeah. then can you spill the beans? Sure. Okay, so you want to come yeah. back right before you do it? Sure. Okay, let's right. do it. Okay. We'll pump it up. All right. Sounds good. And we'll, get, um, we'll get Normatech to hook you up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that would be amazing. Yeah. You need those. Yeah. I do not have those. Um, well, I I like, I, I'm a little bit of like on a shoestring kind mm. of adventure sometimes, but. Um, we'll take care of it. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much. No problem. Um, yeah. So I have used those, but. Um, foam rolling and like Mm. putting your legs up the wall is usually what i do but uh yeah i'd say within a week those rollers that i was telling you about same company yeah yeah. high prices same company yeah yeah they they make the normatech boots they make those crazy rollers that vibrate you're gonna throw those regular rollers out wait till you try these things okay it's bananas yeah You're, you're like yikes but um yeah uh for like my last run i like running too much to run for at least three weeks until afterwards like so you run so like after running across maine i stopped running for three weeks until my body was like completely healed because i think when i say i love running too much to run immediately after is because i don't want to get burnt out Mm. and i think I think three weeks is a respectable amount of time to give my body a chance to recover. But, um, I mean, I know ice baths also help with like recovery. Do you do that? For my run across Maine, I didn't just because I was in so much pain that like just a little extra pain would have just put me over the edge. Like, like, 
you know what I mean? Like if you have sunburn and just someone touches it and you're just like, ah, like that is. That, would it maybe relieve some of that pain with the ice bath? No, because of like chafing and like oh, there's okay. a lot of little injuries that happen <clears throat> that you might not be aware of until after the fact and like just little things like that. Um, so yeah, really just sleeping and eating as you can tolerate it. And so you just chill for chill. a while. Yeah. Just just yeah. decide look did something crazy it's time to let it all come back together yes mm. yeah but usually i mean that's what's amazing about our bodies is like i don't need to tell it what to do if you give it enough time it will figure out how to rebuild and how to um yeah heal itself so when you think about doing something like this new thing that you can't talk about yet <laughs> when <clears throat> when you um plant excuse me <clears throat> When you plan something like this out, do you just say, okay, I need a wacky challenge. I need um, something something that really pushes me, something that's going to really get the fires going. So sometimes I feel like, like the bus in Australia, I do feel like sometimes these ideas found, find me when I least expect it. I don't really have a bucket list, but I am driven by like that curious, insatiable like need to find out and like I don't think I'll run across Maine ever again in my life because I think what's beautiful about adventure is like, and I don't think I'll row the Atlantic again because I came. You did it. Yeah. And I had a pure experience. I didn't read about how everyone else did it and no one else had run across Maine. So I didn't mm -hmm. read about who else ran this or that just because there's something so pure about doing something that hasn't been done before or like off the beaten path because you have no pre preconceived notion of what you are going to experience. So one of the driving factors for me is just like um, the curiosity to find out. And like I now that I ran across Maine or did this or that, there's no there's not that like, ooh, I wonder. Like it's it's so I I think yeah, I don't necessarily think I'll be doing the same of anything. But with running, there's still like cycling, I answered a lot of those questions already. Swimming, I did like a three hundred and twenty five mile swim, so I feel like I answered those questions. But uh, I don't think that qu the questions have been answered about like the around the world trip because um, that has more to do with um, decision making on your feet and dealing with people, finding out where to sleep, finding out where like, I don't know, there's different challenges that aren't really as much physical. Like, of course, riding your bike 60, 80 miles a day, there's real physical challenges. But for that adventure, I'm driven by um, meeting people and seeing parts of the world that you never would and um, these chance encounters that you would never have had you not been on this road at this time. So so for running, I do feel like um, there are those questions of like, uh, I've done like one really long run, but I'm curious to see how my body responds to doing one after another. And like, I think... What I didn't experience in Maine is running on, like, fatigue the next day. And so that's kind of where, like, cycling across America, I've done that a couple times. And I've got to learn what that feels like. And um, also doing, like, 
200 mile bike rides at one go. And those are very different things. But for running, I haven't experienced a multi-day running adventure. So that's a hint. That's what's a hint. To come. That is. Why don't you talk to Eddie? Okay. Eddie Izzard. Okay. You should yeah. link up. Find out. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to people about, like, their experiences if they have done ultra, like, more of the multi-day events. And what I've been encouraged by is, like, I've heard that the and, – and from biking across America, like – there's only so much you can do to train, and if anything, you might overtrain or like just be so burnt out that you don't even want to do it anymore. So, I from what I've heard is like the training happens almost during like your body adapts and you need kind of a basic level of fitness, but um, and will, yeah, oh yeah, definitely, yeah, but yeah, well, that's uh, what you saw with Eddie Izzard in that documentary that there was no real serious fitness level yeah in the beginning yeah i mean like which is kind of crazy it is um but yeah i i i definitely like after doing marathons and stuff you see all walks of life and even myself people would be like i think in triathlon if you're over 140 pounds for some of those races you're considered athena and like plus size so like athena that means like bigger people like Athena <laughs> really yeah have you heard of that before you have you said so, it like it was a normal thing well like Athena you're considered Athena yeah like it's like uh plus like if you're over 140 pounds some of these races you're considered plus size that's how like tiny these people are so even myself mm. I wouldn't fit the box like I'm not a mm. twig and um I probably yeah like Yes. Athena. Why is the Athena category so useless? Look at that. 140 pounds. I'm Fit a, is feminist. Wow. I'm more than 140 pounds, so I am a plus-size triathlete. Clydesdale. How fucking rude. <laughs> Clydesdale. I an mean, attempt to equalize companion competition rather yeah. for non-elite running and multi-sport events between big and small people. For men, Clydesdale is anyone over 200 pounds. I'm a fucking Clydesdale. I'm an Athena. Minimum weight for oh, Athena. Sorry. Athena and the division runner is either yes. 140 or 150. You're an Athena. Yep. So I'm a plus size. You're travel. a sturdy gal. That's what it means. Well, that makes sense too, because like Zach Bitter, you know, Zach won the world record for uh, 24 hours or for uh, running 100 miles. He ran 100 miles in 11 hours on a track, which is crazy. But Zach is a rail. You know, he's a very yes. small guy. Yeah. Like if you had like a big, like the dude who won the chin-up competition, if you had yeah. that guy try to do that, he's too big. Yeah. Like, I think. Who yeah. knows? If he can do that, maybe he could do anything. Maybe it's a mind thing. I mean, but I, I don't think, know if he could do it the way Zach did it, though. Yeah. I think what I have going for me is not getting injured. Like, because you're sturdy. I guess. Yeah. I'm not. The is that a weird word for girls? They don't like that word. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, it's, a un, it's a weird <laughs> one, right? Like, I mean it in a complimentary way. Like, you're a stout, strong woman. Stout's bad, too. Said that. I <laughs> fucked that up, too. Sturdy and stout, both of them. A lot of chicks don't want to hear that. I That's mean, why I like I've, a gal. I like them sturdy. I've definitely heard like 
Um, like if I do speaking, some people are like, "You don't look like you could do that." I'm like, "Hmm, hmm, okay." What is that supposed to mean? I know exactly. Like, um, uh, homegirl who won Moab 240, the one who'd been on the Courtney. show. Yeah, Courtney yeah. DeWalter. She's very small. Like, what does Courtney weigh about? Mm, I don't know. She's tiny. She's a savage. She's also experienced that thing you were talking about, like blurred vision, to the yeah. point where she had. Uh, um, I think it was corneal edema, I think yeah. it's called, where she her, she, her eyes were bleeding, Oof. so she couldn't see. Yeah. And she tripped and fell and smashed her head on a rock, so blood was pouring down her head, Ugh. couldn't see. Oh, she could barely see her feet in front of her and still won. Wow. Woo! I did watch her. That lady's yeah. a savage. She's cool. She's savage. And when we had her in here, I'm like, what do you eat? She's like, candy. She <laughs> drinks, <laughs> drinks beer. <laughs> <laughs> Drinks beer, eats candy. I mean, just need calories. Yeah. Just need the calories. Yeah, it's just for, I mean, just that alone, that example, the fact that she was literally going blind, never considered stopping, fell, smashed her head. So, like, there's a picture of her running where she's kind of blind with blood pouring out of her forehead and still wins a race. Like, that, that is a tough person. You know, I think it's really cool. Also, in ultra running, you'll see it more that women are holding their own and like compared to men. Like one, she fucking yeah, won. She beat yeah. the first guy, the, the the guy who came in second place by ten hours. Wow, ten fucking hours. Imagine, imagine you train so hard. You're like, I'm a beast. I'm just going out there and kick ass. Yeah. Like, well, it came in first for men. Oh, you came in first for men. Oh, interesting. <laughs> What is uh? What's first for women? Oh, ten hours quicker, whatever. Do you know what that's ten called? Ten hours. Being checked. Oh, is that what they call it? Yeah. Who calls it that? I don't know, but I've seen shirts that say like, "I was checked and I liked it," kind of stuff. Oh. Yeah. Guys are cucks. <laughs> you like it? It's all weird, right? But that is the term. Yeah, that's a guy a trying to impress women. This femininity. Yeah. It's, he probably hates it. Doesn't I, like it. Yeah. It's full but, of shit. Can't trust that guy. <laughs> Guy's a liar, right? Am I wrong? There's no way he likes it. Did you did you race because you want to lose? What the fuck are you talking about? You like being chicked? I don't know. I was chicked and I liked it. <laughs> Stay home. Right? But, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Women can hold their own. Hell yeah, they can. Well, Courtney certainly yeah. fucking can. I think she wins. They say something about like how uh, females have a really high pain tolerance. Mm. So that's why it helps in ultras because of... Yeah, makes sense completely. And being able yeah, to completely handle that. But yeah, yeah. Most men don't do not have a high pain tolerance, but I think women have probably they probably experience pain differently because of the whole childbirth thing, right? Yeah, I would guess. If you could, if there was like a way where you could experience with like a microchip, experience what it's like to be a guy for a day, they could pl- plug into a guy's brain, be a guy for a day. Would you do it? Why wouldn't I? That'd be interesting. Would be fascinating. Wouldn't anyone want to do that? We would, yeah, I would do. I would do it for a day. I'd be a woman for a day. Wouldn't want. Wouldn't want a guy having sex with me. I'd be like, that's where I draw the line. I don't want to like it. Well, what, like, are hey, gonna, what are you gonna? What are you gonna do? What do you? What are you curious to know? I want to hear girls talk shit. I want to. Uh, when no guys are around, I want to hear what kind of things they say. Oh. Uh, hmm. You know. Yeah. When girls talk about sex or girls talk about work or girls talk about life. Or so you want to hear the girl talk. Yeah. I think it would be interesting for a little while. I'll probably get bored. Yeah. But I would maybe I wouldn't because I'd be a girl. I just want to, like, know how much, like, I want to do, like, pull-ups and stuff. I want to, mm. like, 
run around wow, and that's see hilarious. what You want to know what it's what... like to be a gorilla. <laughs> well, I just If you were know. a guy for a day, you'd just be like, <laughs> time just, to smash. I, I want to <laughs> see. <laughs> that's the rarest. Have you polled women? What would you do if you were a man for a day? I don't know. It's like to do fucking pull-ups and shit. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's true that, like, you guys have more muscle. Yeah. And, like, I just want to. You want to smash. Smash I mean... things. You want to punch a bag. <laughs> lift some fucking deadlift, some serious weight. It'd be interesting to see what is cap- what I, that the capability mm. would be. Because you could probably do more things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I don't know what else I would be interested in doing. I would. I think it would be interesting to feel the difference in the hips, like men and women have a totally different hip structure, mm. you know. And that's one of the reasons why women have more ACL injuries, and it's also it's difficult, more difficult for them to generate force, like kicking. Yeah. Like if you watch uh, a really elite woman kick, uh, even though you're carrying your body weight around, yeah. Versus a really elite man kick. There's a big difference in the amount of power that the men can generate. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with testosterone. I'm sure there's a lot of variabilities. But when I talked to a kinesiologist, he was explaining to me that it's also the way the hips are structured. Because a woman's, especially if she has particularly wide hips, your uh, bones angle in a different way, whereas a man's are straight. It's better for generating force. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I know I already said there was a TED talk about this, but there was another TED talk. It's a lot of TED talks. About, <laughs> about a lot of cool shit they talk about. A man who became a woman. So huh? they could say what is better and worse being male and female. How did he do that? Like, like it was uh, trans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like the one thing that they were, that was being joked about is like the hair is the same, but now that I'm a woman. It's like a hundred dollars to cut my hair when it was only ten dollars. Like, mm. so there were there. I mean, that is interesting because they could say definitively what are the differences, and that was yeah one of them. Mm. You could, but you couldn't. Yeah, because the chromosomes are different. There's a lot. It's yeah. like your perception and how you identify. Yes. is different, but not necessarily. You can't def- get pregnant. Yeah, you don't so, have a menstrual cycle. So not a physical sense, but just right. like societal, like how. Yeah. You are. I want to know what PMS is like. Hmm. I want to know what that <laughs> chaos is like because I've seen it before. What the fuck is happening? To I you? think you could recreate <laughs> that. Just like don't like be hangry or something. Like no way. It's like there's no way. It's just hangry. There's no mm. fucking way. There's no way. Just be hangry. For if a it's few just days. hangry, then men are getting abused all across <laughs> this country. I think it. I think with some women, PMS is oh. is pretty radical. I think it varies wildly. Hmm. You know, I I would agree. Like, yeah, I'm sure everyone it's different. Yeah, but I don't know if that's what you would want to experience. Oh though. yeah, for sure. I want I know I want to know how nutty it gets. Hmm. Just feel it, what it feels like. You know, it probably feels crazy to be pregnant too. Walking around with a baby inside of you, a little thing. Yeah, growing I, inside your butt, a little person. You know, because having children as a man is an, is an amazing thing. It's amazing. It's some, probably my favorite thing about life, Legi- legitimately. It's so strange. Like, every time I hug them, every time I talk to them, part of me is going, I can't believe you're real. Like, you didn't exist, and now you exist, and now you're 10, and you and I are having a conversation about life, and we're talking about things. Yeah. But 
I didn't, they didn't come out of my body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think for a woman, it's like exponentially crazier. Yeah. Because they, they literally developed inside of your body and they came out of you. And now here they are. Yeah. That's got to be crazy. I would like to know what that feels like. It must be nuts. Yeah. It must be nuts. I would agree. Yeah. You don't want that, huh? Um, I mean, I feel so passionate about these upcoming like adventures. Um, maybe after, but yeah, my vision is so like this and that that it's hard for me to see that. Mm. At least right now. I I'm not one of those people that thinks everybody should have kids. And not that I think some people shouldn't have kids. That's not what I mean. I mean, I, th- this, I, I used to get insulted by the idea that you couldn't live a fulfilled life without procreating. Yeah. I, was, I was always like, that seems like someone who's done something who thinks everybody should do something. Yeah. Like, there's a thing that people do when they've done it, like, you're not even a man yet unless you've had a kid. And then, you know, you have kids, like, no, that's not real. Do people like, really say that? Oh, yeah, people are crazy. But they only say it because they kind of want to have a leg up on people who haven't done something they've done. Oh, I, I see that now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also people are very, um, they think about their life in a very biased way in that the that's the only way to do it. You know, there's a lot of people that are really silly like that. Like they, no matter what they're doing, they think that this is, if you're not doing this, you're a fool or you're fucking up or you're missing something. Yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure, I think more so on women to procreate than men. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, like, am attached to my body, like, and what it can do. And I think that, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are athletes and have had kids, and I've seen how they have been able to, like, balance that, like, kind of regaining their body and being able to incorporate fitness. But I mean, yeah, I guess that would be one of my fears about it is just like having to let go of what my body is capable of. But I, I by saying that, I, I also think that there might be an even greater appreciation for my body because it's a human, not mm. an Iron Man. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure a human is a little bit more like, but yeah, from where I stand now, it's like, but will I be able to run? Like, <laughs> So this is so, these feats and these uh, adventures are incredibly important to you, obviously. It's yeah, everything. I mean, right now, I am very aware that things change and, and, and I am very cause and charity and like that is also a huge like focus for my, for me and, um, but yeah, I, uh, my, a big part of my identity is these, these challenges and a big part of where I get joy and excitement is around my body's ability to do these things. But I mean, I have had injuries enough to know that I am more than just running or biking. Yeah. And do you have an idea when you want to stop? Um, or are you a lifer? I might be a lifer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have been doing challenges for a decade now. Um, I think that, like, I've reached a limit in certain, and and I think what might be exciting to go back to is trying to get more speed. Like, I've definitely lost speed and traded it for endurance, 
And so um, after doing a few more, I think it would be fun to kind of develop what I've put off. Because, like, training last year, I didn't do any speed work. Um, it was all endurance. It was basically like doing an ultra marathon every weekend and then recovering. And then, like, that's all you really... So is this this speed uh, like a challenge that you haven't been addressing? Is that why it's itching at you? Um, well, you give up. Like I, I feel like I'm too young to be saying I used to be that fast. Like mm. I should be able to go fast. Um, but it's kind of like you pick your you pick your battle. Do you want to be fast or do you want to go far? And some people can do both. But I think with my body, it's it's kind of like you you choose. I mean, there's like fast twitch and slow twitch. And if you develop your slow twitch, then yeah. So like, um, I, I, I think it's very empowering to at least like most of my running is nine, 10 minute miles. That's pretty like I, I mean that's a chill I mean I'm not I can talk I everything but still like I've been doing that pace so much that it's really hard to do seven and eights anymore and it'd be nice to feel that again by doing less you seem like a person that will never find your limits you're just always want to push you always want to try to figure it out well it's our body like it has so many so like yeah no it's cool I, yeah. I like your attitude i like the way you approach these things it's very cool i mean our bodies are really amazing you made so it all the way to the end without peeing too well i thought about it for the last half hour <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure yeah it's have. a challenge sometimes i can tell when people are kind of squirming a little bit and they got a look on their face and they're like hmm, maybe not yet hang in there hang in there could you, you tell yeah a little bit yeah. <sighs> Was it? I, no, not bad. I just I'm, most people would never be able to tell. But I'm just assuming around two hours ish, yeah. two and a half. You get this big jug of water. I'm sh you're an athlete. I'm sure you drink a ton of water. I'm like, you got to be ready. You well, got any minute now. You picked talking about going to the bathroom too early. If you would have waited until the two hour mark, I could have been like, oh, that reminds me. <laughs> Good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you made it, dude. You did it. Yeah. So let us know what this challenge is, when you can spill the beans, and uh, we'd be happy to help you there. Oh, that's so nice. And Thank it was you. really cool talking to you. I really yeah, enjoyed it. Too. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, All you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everybody.